Ladies and gentlemen, what's good, y'all? It's Chris Gary and Andrew Benjamin, and this is yet another edition of the We Are Rising podcast, your source for all things about the Rising Fighting Federation and Japanese mixed martial arts and even Asian mixed martial arts as well. Or, you know, we just shoot the shit. You can follow us on Twitter at We Are Rising Pod is the show name. My Twitter handle is at ChrisGary92. Andrew's Twitter handle is at abenja one And joining us today, all the way out from Korea, is the master of Kumite MMA radio and television, Mr. John Hyung Ko, otherwise known on Twitter at JHKMMA. How are you doing, sir? Good, good, man. Uh, it's a pleasure to finally get on your show, man. We've been fans of you for a long time, uh, John. Uh, as we were telling you, uh, well, I told you there uh, that you know before I even went into this whole MMA podcast world, I was watching your stuff on Kumite, on uh, your Kumite uh, YouTube channel, and following your Twitter, uh, all, all the interviews you're doing. Because I just, yeah, I really, I like the operation that you, that you, the one man operation, one man operation that you uh, work all the way in your office in uh, Korea. It's really admirable what you, that you, no matter how small or big an MMA fighter is or promotion, you give them the time of day. I really admire that a lot. I appreciate that, man. Um, I'm just trying to do my thing, trying to make a career out of this uh, MMA media gig. Just so, if you don't mind me asking, how did you get started in this whole media media thing? Tell us your story. You know, of course, like anybody else, you know, you start out as a fan, and then I think in 2004, I think that's what year it was. I saw this website called uh, AsiaMMA.com, and I never saw any website, you know, for Asian MMA, and this one just popped up out of nowhere. I was just searching online, and I just got a wild hair up my ass, and I contacted the person that runs it, Lily, and, you know, Lily is like an OG in Asian MMA media out here. You know, she's been covering it from the beginning. She's probably the first one. Um, Much props to her. Mm -hmm. She just said, you know, if you want to write, Go ahead, man. Try it out. Let's see what you can do. And uh, that's how I started. I just started writing for her, for AsiaMMA.com, and that's where it started. I wrote a bunch of stuff, you know, on and off. And then a little bit over two years ago, I started the YouTube page. but started as Kumite Radio, and then I changed it to Kumite TV. And then, uh, yeah, and I just started going at interviewing fighters. And, and I do write, like, articles from time to time, but mostly focus on you know, talking with fighters and interviewing them and uh, getting the stories. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, how hard was it to transition from working alongside a legend in Asian MMA journalism like Lee Lee to going to your own platform? Was the transition hard or was it easy? Well, she helped me out a lot with, you know, understanding, like, which, what needs to be done. And kind of like the ethics of journalism, you know, what, what kind of rules you have to follow. Because really, I didn't have no idea of what I was doing. I just jumped in because I liked MMA, you know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. how most people start, right? And uh, yeah, she just kind of like gave me the foundation. And then when I did decide to transition over, I just took what I learned from her and then just kind of learned everything off watching other people that are doing it already, you know what I mean? And just whatever I can pick up along the way. And it's hard, man, because you're you're doing it alone, and there's really nobody that's gonna be there to kind of like to 
tell you like you're doing a good job or whatever. Even now, you know what I mean? It's not like people are like telling me all the time and shit like, oh yeah, you're doing a great job or whatever because it's a hard thing to do, I think. And most people, they quit. I've seen so many people quit along the way. But uh, I believe that uh, if you have the desire, man, then the transition, it could be hard, but you're still going to push forward and keep doing it. And, and uh, yeah, you just got to play the long game. I think that's what's important. You gotta keep that mentality. Well, one question I have for you, John. One of the reasons why I did start this Rising podcast was because I saw that there was an audience that was not being served who are into JMA, who are into Rising and other promotions that are in Asia that are being truly underserved in the western MMA media and I'm just curious to know do you feel that the western MMA media deliberately ignores what's going on on your side of the world until they come to uh, until like something I guess breaks out like like, like oh, do you think that, that, that Asian MMA is not is not served um appropriately by the western mainstream MMA media well, you know, there's two sides to the story, right? There's the side where whatever is going on over here on this side of the world does not matter on that side of the world because they do have these major promotions already there running shows almost every weekend, and mm -hmm. that's all they have time for, right? There's mm -hmm. that side of the story. And then the other side of the story is they don't really give a shit, some people, man, like what's happening. You know, unless someone from their neck of the woods goes over to Asia and fights. And they're a big enough name to where if they cover them, they can benefit off that. And at the end of the day, the media needs to benefit off, you know, who they're covering. If covering Asian MMA in North America and the Western Hemisphere is not benefiting them, most likely financially, then they're not going to do it. And I understand that aspect, that side. But with that said, I feel, yes, they do not cover Asian MMA as much as they could. And well, here's me, I think it's pretty goddamn stupid. When it comes to certain MMA journalism outlets, they either care about Japanese MMA, especially Ryzen, either when a big UFC star comes over there after getting cut, like what might happen with Sergio Pettis, who is now a free agent, or they'll only care when somebody like, oh, I don't know, Floyd Mayweather or Manny Pacquiao make their way over. Yeah, I mean, um, that's that's just that's the hard truth, man. That's what it is. Most of the time, that's what it is, right there. Is mm -hmm. you know, like I they, they don't care. They don't I, care. If, you know what's going on. I've always seen it as a, as a chicken and egg situation where, and I'm trying to remember. I think it was Luke Thomas who said that. Oh, the reason why we don't cover it is that we don't get clicks. But if you never cover in the first place, how can you say you don't want to get clicks? It's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy where, yeah, you're saying that we're not to cover it because no one's going to read those stories. But if you never cover in the first place, how can you say that's even a feasible statement to make? Um, I do get your, I get your statement that, you know, of course, you know, that's probably not, they have to serve the readers. But it's been kind of always like a struggle seeing that, you know, when Shoji Horiguchi, um, maybe, you know, before his loss to Kaizakura, you could maybe make a case was the best phantom weight in the world and definitely a top 10 fighter, and yet nobody talks to him. I mean, not, not, talks about him over here uh, as that sort of caliber fighter uh, when it came, comes to, like, fighter of the year or things of that nature. Just kind of yeah, like, yeah, yeah, all right. 
very frustrating, um, especially when it seems like when it seems almost like it's being literally ignored. Um, um, but uh, we're not here to talk about to rail against the MMA mainstream media. We can talk about this. It's all good. Yeah, but we uh, have a lot of important things to talk about, you know, other than, right. you know, pissing off the establishment, so to speak. For instance, coming up next week, no, wait, actually, not even next weekend, but this time, six days from now, which right now, it's October the 6th, 2019, it's a Sunday, but normally events for Ryzen would take place on a Sunday, or... You know, outside the usual New Year's Eve spectaculars, they would take place on Sundays. But no, this event is taking place exactly six days from right now, as the time we're recording this, Saturday, October 12th, 2019, from the Osaka Perpetual Gymnasium. Well, actually, Edeon Arena, a.k.a. the Osaka Perpetual Gymnasium in Namba, Osaka, Japan. It's Ryzen 19. It's the first round of the lightweight tournament, which will feature 10 MMA bouts and 3 kickboxing bouts, all of which will be sanctioned under the rules of the Ryzen Fighting Federation. And with the exception of the Grand Prix bouts, the kickboxing bouts, and the Siohiham Miyu Yamamoto fight, the rest of these bouts will be having elbows to the head and body allowed, meaning beautiful violence will be on display. But, still, the first bout on this card we're going to talk about in order of the event card is the Ryzen kickboxing bout, which will take place at 56 kilos of 123 pounds, featuring Shootboxing Japan Super Bantamweight Champion Seiki Uyama versus NJKF West competitor Taisei Ume. Let's just say both of these guys are hometown boys. Both of them are from the Osaka Prefecture. Uyama, age 23, born March the 22nd, 1996. He stands in at 165 centimeters or 5 feet 5 inches tall, weighs in at 55 kilos or 123 pounds, and he has a professional kickboxing and shootboxing record of 34 fights. 22 victories with 10 wins by way of knockout opposite 11 losses and 1 draw. He is the former Shootboxing Japan Super Bantamweight Champion. As for his opponent, Taisei Ume. He is from the Nishi subsection of Osaka. He stands at 5 feet 5 inches tall, weighing in at 123 pounds, and he has a 7-6 and six professional kickboxing record. Now, before we get into our thoughts, Andrew, do you have any info on some of these fighters? Uh, sorry, I apologize. I'm in my hostel right now, and I was, I'm entirely distracted by the fact that the television is playing the first rush hour on TBS. So, unfortunately, I was not paying attention to anything you were saying because I was watching rush hour, the beginning of rush hour one. It's um, okay, it's okay. I'm recording everything, so please continue. Uh, okay, good. But, uh, okay, here's what Ryzen has provided us. This stuff, this, this stuff on the Twitter and also Instagram regarding both of these gentlemen. Shoeboxing ace Seiki Uyama will be taking on New Japan Kickboxing Federation. Isn't, is that the, that is a New Japan Pro Wrestling's, uh, Bushi Roads kickboxing promotion, right? I guess so. Stand out, Taisei Ume. 
and they say that Yuyama has crisp and quick hands while while you Ume has the an effective left body kick that starts all these combinations, and they call this the Battle of Distance. Now, Yuyama, you might remember, uh, was on a Ryzen card a, a few Ryzen shows ago. I apologize, I can't remember which one. And he fought Kengo, uh, the singular name Kengo, who I could not find a thing on because there's a million people in Japan with the name Kengo. So, um, do you happen to remember that fight, Christian? Uh, yeah, I remember that fight. He knocked him out in the first round of Ryzen 16. Yeah, he basically, even though Kengo tried to survive the match, unfortunately, could not survive the match. Unfortunately, there's not that much I could find of Ume, and um, I'm guessing that probably most of his deep kick matches have not made tape, uh, which is a very unfortunate uh, occurrence. Raw kickboxing in Japan is that just many fights do not make tape. Um, but other than the fact that, that, you know, his fights didn't make tape, I had a hard time trying to figure out or find any particulars on him, so I just had to rely on Tapology and this Google search that I'm on saying that he's 21, born April 27, yeah. 1998. And also, Ume has a record that's gained dangerously close to under 500, 7 and 6. And he's only had one KO and six decisions mm. compared to uh, Uyama, who is at 10 KOs and 12 decision wins. So, um, John, uh, I'm curious to know, do you know anything about these two boxers? And do you have a particular favorite in this match at all? No, I don't know anything about these guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just glad that Ryzen gives, you know, some of those local guys an opportunity to perform on the big show. Other than that, I don't really follow the kickboxing too much for Ryzen. Understood. Understood. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it simply, Yuyama wins. I'm just going by his record from what I've seen with him. Other than that, you know, I don't know. If, if I guess if Yuyama wins, I guess, you know, he's 8-6 eight, he's eight instead of 7-7. Seven seven. But uh, I, think it, I think it will be 7-7 seven seven by the time this match ends what do you think, Christian? I'm having no trouble guessing that. I think that Uyama's probably going to give Taisei the business. You have to think about it. Even though Ume is 7-6, and six, he's one fight close to the 500 mark, he's still going to probably provide a lot of problems. Namely, both of these guys, yeah, they are basically pack mules, and easy for me to say myself, as I'm pretty much the same height as them, but still, these guys are basically pocket rockets, ready to shoot off, and I think the only thing they want to be focused on is giving the hometown crowd in Osaka a damn good show to kick off the card, but I think that Uyama is probably going to win, and most likely, much like the Kingo bout, he's probably going to win via knockout. It's definitely the perfect way to open a card, in my personal opinion. It is a good first match to have. Um, because, uh, exactly for what you say, because the uh, home two, uh, two home, and John also said as well, two hometown guys, an opportunity, and hopefully they bring something exciting to the first match and well, set the rest of the pace card. In this case, it's not really hometown, it's more like home prefecture. As in, both of them oh, are fighting okay. off of the Osaka Prefecture. Ah, uh, okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, home Prefecture guys. Uh, an opportunity. Yeah. Hopefully they get a good opener, because, you know, they always say, if the opening sucks, it's usually a bad sign for the rest of the card. 
Exactly, exactly. And speaking of a fight that's bound to either suck or show, <laughs> yeah, the next fight on this list is gonna be, well, it's gonna be completely crazy. Let's just say that. It's a fight between one big boy who competed in Ryzen before and probably one of the worst fights in promotional history, and another who is, well, obviously unknown and has a losing record, but he's more familiar with you, John, and that is the fight between Shoma Shibisai versus Chan Hee Kim. Now, first of all, the particulars for Shoma Shibisai, who was going to be fighting his first professional MMA bout since losing, albeit in a very controversial, very bland decision to a Nergigal Bolt Pereb at Ryzen 11 back in July of 2018, he's 6'3", 230.2 pounds. He represents the Kuroto Dojo and is a veteran of Ganryujima, the moat fighting promotion. <laughs> so that shows you how much of an accomplished fighter that he is, where he's able to basically battle it up with guys of different styles and different backgrounds. As for Chang Hee Kim, this big man stands in at 6 feet 2 inches tall and weighs in at 360 pounds. Age 35, born September 16, 1984, he fights out of Gunmi, South Korea with a record of one win and four losses and one no contest. In addition to that, he hasn't won a fight since May 6th of 2012 in Gladiator defeating Bone Bone. He's a two-fight veteran of D, getting submitted by Ikuhisa Minoa, aka Minoa Man, and Stego Mishiguchi, Losing an M1 Global in the selection process to Young Jun Jang, and getting knocked out after having a no contest with Gun O Shim, a guy who most recently in the Road FC cage lost to another Ryzen alum in Chris Huggy Bear Barnett. So, I just have to ask first of all, how the hell did Ryzen get Chan Hee Kim? And second of all, aside from who do you think is going to win this fight, which is pretty damn obvious or should be at this point. Do you think that Ryzen needs to have more of a focus towards their open weight division, especially to get guys like Chris Barnett back in their fold? What do you think, John? I'll pass, I'll pass that question off to you, John, to answer. Well, I think the reason why Kim is fighting in Ryzen is because of the relationship that Road FC has with Ryzen. You know, like how they've taken a few of the Road FC guys and sent them over and competed in Ryzen uh, mm -hmm. at their last show. Um, who was the guy that they sent over? He fought uh, the Hulk. What was oh. his name? The Korean kid? Middleweight? Hoon Kim. Hoon Kim. That old oh, guy. Yeah, yeah Hoon Kim. The Hoon old Kim, guy that right. got knocked and out Kim, by Ivan Shertikov. That's right, that's right. And he's another guy that was sent over by road, you know, to compete. Kim, same deal. You know, Ham, uh, same deal. You know, they're all connected with road, you know, through road to go to Ryzen and compete. Now, the reason why I believe that he's sent over there is it's kind of like a throwaway fight, to be honest with you. Maybe Kim has like one fight left on his contract and he has that like, he has that do or die type attitude. He's just going to go in there and throw as hard as he can until he can't throw no more. 
And basically, that's the type of fight that they want. They want a slobber knocker of two open weights. And it's like a throwaway fight. And if it entertains, it entertains. If it doesn't, who gives a shit? It's a throwaway. That's a, this is what I believe that they're doing. Oh, I just want to also add something as well. There are two Korean fighters who do fight for UFC that are, that are both got, got, go by the same name, Chang Hee Kim. And when I initially looked up the guy, I'm like, wait, he's fighting a, is it gonna be a lightweight fighting a, a heavyweight? Until I found the other guy who was one of four. And I was like, no, that can't, I, I couldn't believe that they were hiring a, a, a putting, looking at a one of four guy. So I initially thought it was, Gonna be a lightweight versus a uh, the heavyweight initially. Um, <laughs> that would have been wild. Yeah, it, it would be wild. And so, just tell us a little bit about him, um, John. Is he? You said he's do or die, but as his skills are as a fighter, being one and four, uh, his losses have all been finishes except for one. That uh, they've all been in the first round except for one. Uh, is what would you peg him as a fighter? Would you say he's good or is he? What are some? What was a good quality about him? If there's anything, he can take a punch, and once he eats a few, it drains his chin, then he's gonna fall. He's gonna get knocked out. Um, he's not a young guy. You know, what I mean, he's not like a young guy that's going out there and you know throwing bombs. He's 35 years old. He's been hit a lot, but. It's just pure entertainment, man. Like, they're not bringing him because he's any good. I don't see anything good about him. I watched his last two fights for Road, and there's nothing special about him. That's why they brought him to fight Shim Gano, right? Because Road likes him. They want to make an easy path for him to become a star for Road. So they give him a fight with Kim because he's probably be able to knock him out. But I'm confused, like, why they would do this. Then on the other side, like I said... They want a fight where two guys are going to go in and try to kill each other on the feet and throw bombs. It seems like Road FC's biggest, or literally and, and, and metaphorically, their biggest heavyweight guy seems to be uh, Aurora Gelly. And I kind of figured that Ryzen would try to make a peg for someone like him just because he's becoming kind of like, I don't want to say, he's kind of becoming, I, I, at least uh, correct me if I'm wrong, he seems to be Road FC's. Um, the guy they want him to be their number one open weight or heavyweight guy. Is that, uh, would you say it's a, a right? You are right, but that's when they were trying to do events in China, bringing the Chinese crowd, having relations with Chinese companies or promotions or whatever. But now it doesn't seem like that because we haven't seen him fight. Did he fight last year for road? I don't even think he did. Or did he fight this year for road? No, I don't believe he so. Hasn't. I mean, so, I think that in a way he hasn't fought in a while, so he just wants to try and shake off the cowwebs, and in this case, shake off the ring rust. Just to let you know, he did fight at Road FC 53 this year. You know, he faced uh, Jay Hugh Keo um, and won that match. Uh, this was back in May. Oh, yeah, that's right. Wait that's a minute. Right. That's so wrong. his record well, is now 2 and 4 with one no contest?
you think that's accurate or or wrong or what are your thoughts about that? That's completely accurate. If you feel it and you don't even live in Korea, imagine what I see over here. Yeah, man, if you you just gonna need to go on Twitter. Whenever there's a road event on Twitter, right, if you go there, are people talking about the road event? Oh, no, no, not anymore. But yeah. two years ago, if a road event was going on, people would be on Twitter, like, sharing highlights, talking about it, arguing with each other about matchups. You know, it was active. But now, there's nobody on Twitter talking about road anymore. You're right. They're a glorified regional promotion now. They're having, they went from maybe like 10 shows a year, which is pretty good, right? For a, a yeah. you know, a regional promotion to now they're only having like four, which shows you that uh, there's some kind of problems yeah. going on internally or there's financial problems. I think the $1 million tournament really fucked them. Really mm -hmm. fucked them. No. And or no, the one million dollar tournament. Yeah. The lightweight tournament, the role to Asul Kwan, which Mansour Tarzan okay, yeah. won a wee one. Well, yeah, the lightweight tournament was the last time I remember, um, other than uh, Mikael Paredes, um, when he did his old putty do things for uh, his uh, Road SC fights, was, uh, yeah, that's the last time I remember uh, uh, them getting any sort of attention outside uh, within the social media sphere. But, but yeah, I know yeah, like, you know what, Andrew, this. and I'm sorry to interrupt, even though it's kind of my thing. <laughs> but in a way, if they are considered a regional promotion, they wouldn't have English commentators. They wouldn't have the bombastic voice of Jeff Houston introducing some fighters. They wouldn't have that deal with the zone to have yeah. their event shown in the states, which unfortunately makes them feel like. The, the zone equivalent to Alaska FC on the fight pass. Here's the issue. Yeah, now, you're right. You're right. The thing is that that road. So I watched when um I forgot which show it was, but it had the seven second knockout in that one match. That was the road FC show I watched on the zone since I got the membership. The uh, Bellator MSG show. I know that was. I can't remember which one it was. But the first forty five minutes of the show. No sound at all. And I'm going to guess that's probably a road SC issue. That they only had the main card matches. I was looking forward to the Young Guns matches. Those are some of the most exciting fights to watch. They just had the... the, but the, the, the last main road match. event... The last road <laughs> event, the main card, was pretty damn good. Like, all the fights were hmm. fucking crazy. Did you watch the last one? Uh, no, I didn't see the, uh, the last one. What was the main event? Um, it was... What's the featherweight like title? title? Oh, it was for a title. <laughs> it was a 10-second uh, knockout. That, I do remember hearing about the 10-second knockout. Um, no, the last show I watched was the uh, was a, the main event uh, was the middleweight um, title uh, that changed hands. Um, I caught it. Again, who who won that match? Uh, Brian Irwin was the uh, middleweight title being up for grabs in that uh, match. And also the, uh, that 7-second knockout, I think it was a... Uh, it was a lightweight match or a featherweight match. Um, but yeah, that's the last Road SC show I watched, and I was very disappointed in the, in the production quality that uh, that was on the zone. And here's the thing, you know, so I don't want to say that Road SC was a show that I was paying attention to for a while, especially when they had the shows on YouTube, and they were getting, having the open weight tournaments that just just here and you know, getting Gabby Garcia.
Garcia and having her fight these openweight battles and Yoshihiko from Japan. And just like all these, it, it seemed like a promotion I was worth paying attention to. Now it's just like, it just doesn't seem to, to have the same buzz that it had, you know, as much maybe a year ago. And it sucks to say that. I say that with no glee or happiness at all. Now I can understand you on that, Andrew, because when it came down to it, even though they bought in Yoshiko Hirano, which if you know from pro wrestling, she's a pain in the ass to deal with. I mean, she felt like she was coming into her own in professional MMA until, you know, she lost. And then when it came down to that open weight tournament, I was having so much excitement for what it would become until it came into a giant clusterfuck, which is what it is now. Because it ain't really continuing. I mean, you have, like, fights that are still yet to be going and... The only person that's of interest now out of that tournament is Chris Barnett. Hey man, it's just like, it's sad. It's like you're watching somebody die slowly, you know? That's what's really happening, and it seems like all the promotions around Asia are just going to swallow up the talent. And, like, you know, one championship and rising, and I think that's what's going to most likely happen, is they're not going to be able to afford those fighters anymore. Or, let's say if Tari Ham, you know, she's on this card, right? Mm-hmm. Imagine if she stayed with Road. Who would she be fighting? Bombs. Let's well, be real. She'd be fighting bombs and beating up bombs and would be mad at that. You know what I mean? Like, why is she in these massive mismatches? That's what would have been happening, right? So, well, luckily, we do have somebody be, like Rice. She would basically be facing bumettes, you know, throughout Japan and yeah, South yeah. Korea and North Korea, if you want to get that crazy. But still, she would also be fighting... Like, also brands from North America, from Europe. Basically, women just trying to make by with their careers. Definitely, man. Well, I'm glad that she's fighting for Ryzen. Now she can fight the best of the best. And uh, that's what we get, man. It's great to see. Just so happy that there are some legit Koreans entering Ryzen and fighting for them. Mm-hmm. I wanna, I, I'm hoping that there will be more Hopefully in the future. So. You know, I want to see, like... A couple of the champions from Road go over there and fight because there's some good guys mm-hmm. that fight for Road that that would do some damage in in Ryzen. I mean, come to think of it, I really hope that Mansour Barner Wee is one of those fighters on that list because I think that if the UFC ain't thinking about him and the Bellator damn sure ain't thinking about him, Ryzen need to take advantage. But other than that, since we want to continue on, is everybody in favor for Shoma Shibi Sai win? If Shoma Shibisai doesn't win, then he needs to quit. Sorry to say that, but he, if he loses against a guy like him, then that's like a... It'd be like, ugh, you, you're done for, dude. You're done for. Um, I think that Kim will become 1-5 in five, uh, after this fight. Um, sorry, uh, I'm guessing everybody here picks Shibisai? Nobody, nobody's going to go with Kim? Well, I'm I going with Shibisai. Kim. Just on, just on, you know, nations. Nation oh. loyal, national, nationalistic pride. Understood, understood, but, I mean, if you want to be understandable, you know, how long do you think that Chan Hee Kim will last, John? I guarantee you he'll be lasting around, let's say, around the two-minute mark. And don't be surprised if he gets the knockout, too, because if that dude, the, uh, the Japanese guy, comes in there, you know, throwing bolos, Kim will throw bolos back, and you know, you know what happens when open weights throw. Anybody <laughs> can get clipped. 
one question I don't know, I, I would just like to bring up is, it seems like Ryzen was kind of stepping away from these, like, freak show open weight fights. Um, and actually, and do you think that they're going to still continue this after this match? Because it seems like they were trying to, like, become more legitimate, I guess you could say. Do you think we'll, we'll get we'll get something, uh, another type of match like this in the future? Some open weights? Um, whatever. John, do you think so? Yeah, yeah, I think they'll continue. I don't think these are freak shows. I think these are guys, you know, especially with open weights and heavyweights where you could throw one punch and knock out the other guy. Mm-hmm. There's always a fan base for that. There's always clips you can make off that, you know what I mean? Like highlight reels off that and kind of promote your, you know, your organization with it. Why not? Mm-hmm. I don't see nothing wrong with that. But I don't feel it's a freak show. I don't feel like it's like that grandma and Gabby Garcia type shit. <laughs> that, of course, they should not have that. The one thing I do worry about is with these types of fights, um, first of all, it's three rounds in five minutes, by the way, how this match is being uh, going. So if nothing happens within the first minutes, it could just be two big men breathing heavily until the end of the match. Which worries me sometimes. Yeah, I mean, because the first <laughs> round in a heavyweight fight is always exciting, no matter if it's boxing or MMA. But after the first five minutes, you have to wonder, will these guys be fatigued? How will they be able to stand up for ten extra minutes? You know, who's going to fall first? <laughs> exactly, exactly. With that, Christian, shall we move on to the next bout? Yes, let's go ahead and move on to the next contest on the Ryzen 19 card. And that next contest is a little more lighter. It's at 77 kilos or 170 pounds. Featuring Takuma Konishi versus Shintaro K.O. Boy Matsukura. First of all, the particulars for Konishi... He stands in at 5 feet 10 inches tall, weighs in at 198 pounds. He is 32 years old, born July 21st, 1987, and fights out of Kishiwada City, Osaka, Japan. He has a professional kickboxing record of 27 fights, 22 victories, with 10 wins by way of knockout against 5 defeats. His opponent... Is Shintaro K.O. Boy Masakura. He's 27 years old, born November the 12th, 1991. He stands in at 178 centimeters, which is 5 feet 10 inches tall, weighs in at 154 pounds, but he's gonna need to bulk up from 70 kilos. He is originally from Miami, Florida, USA, fighting out of the Try Hard Gym in Sagamihara, Kanagawa, Japan. He holds a record of 38 fights, 22 victories with 12 knockouts, and 16 losses. He is also the former Rise World Middleweight Champion, whereas Konishi is the former International Sport Kickboxing Association Oriental Intercontinental Super Welterweight Champion. Damn, that is a long title. But, But still... When it comes to this fight, how exciting do you think it's going to be knowing that Masakura, who was also fighting in his second Ryzen fight, how exciting do you think this is going to be that we got a welterweight kickboxing fight in Ryzen, and who do you think is going to probably 
get their hand raised at the end of this one. John, you have any thoughts? I'm going to go with Chintaro. And I think his credentials as a Rise champion kind of trump whatever Takuma has done. Okay, I mean, I can understand that, but would you care to explain a little bit more? Because we've seen Rise competition compete in Ryzen before, and it's so far been mixed as far as the results go. Well, I don't like Asian people with blonde hair, so I'm going to pick up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that means you probably, I mean, I guess that means you're not a big K-pop fan, huh? Because of the multicolored band members? I don't listen to any K-pop or I don't follow none of that stuff, even though I live here. But, you know, I'm not like into all that. I got I'm old, ask. man. I'm an old man. I'm not like a young guy. Understood. Well, I gotta ask, why don't you like the blonde hair on Asians? It's not a good look. I don't know. The women look alright, but the dudes look weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, especially when they get super tan. You know, like the Asian dudes get really tan and then they yeah. dye their hair blonde. It's like they're trying to be like the Asian version of Cisco. Oh, God, so, um, no. Don't remind don't us. John, I don't know if you if you pay attention to pro wrestling, but there's a Japanese pro wrestler uh, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, and, uh, Christian, you know who I'm talking about, uh, Tomoaki Hanma, who's exactly the way you described, who's, who looks as tan as a, as a turkey, and who, who dyes his hair blonde. And his he's voice like, sounds like he smokes, like, 12 pack of chain cigarettes a day. He's exactly the type of, if you, if, don't look him up, whatever you do, uh, cause you'll probably, uh, you'll probably smash your computer screen when you see him, cause he's the exact You never know. Maybe like three years from now, you might see me tan with some blonde hair. <laughs> so, yeah. Who knows what could happen in the future? But I'm just saying, like, it looks weird to me. And, uh, I got you. And uh, Shin Shintaro, like, I've heard about him, you know, through fighters that have trained with him, MMA fighters. Mm -hmm. And they say that uh, he's pretty legit, you know what I mean? Like, when he has trained with, like, fighters, foreign fighters, you know what I mean? Not fighters in Japan. Mm -hmm. And has, you know, went in there, sparred with them. These guys are telling me that Shintaro is legit, man. He he has skills. You know, I don't, like I said earlier in the show, I don't really know much about the kickboxing stuff, mm -hmm. but I've heard this guy's name before, you know. Now, through, you know, know. I want to just bring up as well. So, Takuma, uh, Takuma Konishi had a fight at the uh, Yaranoka card where he was the undersized guy in a kickboxing match against Yuta Yuchida, and he lost uh, pretty bad. Now, here's the thing. Konishi is probably going to be the bigger guy in this match since Shintaro is a lightweight who is now going up to welterweight, while Konishi normally fights around middleweight and light heavyweight. So, size difference. Does that make any, do you, do you account for the size potential size difference as well, um, John, as a factor, or do you think it won't be a factor? I think you'd have to ask the, the women that watch MMA. The women who watch MMA? Yeah, for size difference. I don't think size really matters. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh. Is that an innuendo joke that just totally went over my head? <laughs> exactly, because you're drunk and you're... Oh. <laughs> I was, like, trying to, like... My brain was, like, melting, like... 
what is he talking about? And I just realized, oh my god. I get, I totally get what you're saying. Okay. Right, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, you expected me to say something serious, but I don't, I'm not really into that size matters thing. Um, unless it's like major size difference. If the guy was, let's say the guy was like a, a light heavyweight and he's facing a welterweight, then I would see some, you know, some, you know clear advantages in that. But it's, you know, a one weight class. I don't really see much of a difference. Um, but who knows, man, what uh, Takuma has been doing since that fight. Maybe he's been in Thailand just grinding with some fucking Buddhist monks and shit and, and come back and just destroy Shintaro. Who knows? Also, I'd just like to add as well, uh, Shintaro has one win in Ryzen as well. So uh, we have a guy who's 1-0 in Ryzen taking on a guy who's 0-1 in Ryzen as well. So I just wanted to add that uh, little thing. So, Chris, uh, I want to throw it to you. Any thoughts on who wins this match? Well, I mean, all i got to say is I hope that when it comes to this match that Masakura don't knock Konishi into the next row. But if you think about it, Konishi is going to be dropping down in weight. I mean, he normally fights as... A heavyweight in most cases, even light heavyweight as far as kickboxing goes, but he's gonna have to drop down a lot of weight, you know, try and get down and do it. And it's gonna suck for him because he's gonna feel exhausted, he's gonna feel like he's lost a lot of pressure, and you know, he's gonna probably take this fight seriously, but he's going to be drained. For most of the fight. So I hope to see Masakura win. But I hope that he doesn't, you know, knock Konishi back a few inches. Oh, I'm going to be a lone, lone wolf on this one. I think the size difference will matter in this, in this case. I think that Konishi is going to come into this fight and he's going to win this fight based on size and strength alone. Um, I know that he's all in one in Ryzen, and also that uh, Shintaro, as you, as you said, trains at the Tryhard Gym, which is a very good gym, uh, the train kickboxing at, but I don't know, I feel, I'm just, my, my gut instinct on paper tells me that Konishi is going to be the one who wins this. I hope it is an exciting fight, I hope, I hope, it, I hope it's a better fight than the one he had uh, at the Yarnoka card, because it was not a good, it was not, that was not a good fight that he had. Yeah, that's all I gotta say about this match. Um, and you know that hopefully both these uh, gentlemen bring it to the uh, to the uh, ring. Size difference, be damned, and all that. Mhm. And John, any final thoughts on this contest before we get going with the rest of the card? Because we do have another kickboxing bout to talk about. No, it's all good. I, no, I said what I needed. Definitely want to talk about the next kickboxing match. It's a very interesting matchup. So, Christian, whenever you're ready, fire away. Okay, the next kickboxing belt that'll be on the card is a catchweight belt at 62 kilos, which will be 136 pounds, between a recent Rise tournament winner and Tiger. <laughs> but still, it's Taiju Shiratori. The teammate of Tenshin Nasukawa, the prince as he's called, versus the hypernova 
Tiger Kawabe, the former K1 world champion. The particulars for Shiratori first. Shiratori stands in at six feet tall. The tallest kickboxer in Ryzen as far as lighter weight classes go so far. He weighs in at 134 and one half pounds. Fighting out of Team Tepin in Matsudo Chiba, Japan, aside from Tenshin Nasukawa, but really hails from Tokyo. He is the 2013 WPML Japan Super Featherweight Champion, the Rise Lightweight Champion, of course, and obviously just this past week, well actually last month, he defeated King Genji Umeno to become the Rise 61 kilogram World Series Tournament winner. As far as his record goes, he is 17-5-1. He fought 23 fights with 18 KO victories and is currently 2-0 inside the Ryzen ring. Defeating Uza Strong, Yoshia Uzatsuyo at the Yarinoka Show on December 31st, 2018. And then getting a victory over Hiroto Yamaguchi at Ryzen 16 back on June the 2nd. His opponent, on the other hand, just got off of a six-fight winless streak. Nova, Tega Kawabe, 5'5", 132.3 pounds, age 23, born August 14, 1996 in Aikawa, Kanagawa, Japan. He fights out of the try-hard gym of Sagamihara, Kanagawa, Japan, and has a kickboxing record of 21 wins and 9 losses. 6 of those 21 wins by way of knockout. He was the 2018 Crush Youth 55kg Grand Prix Tournament Champ, the 2014 K1 55kg 123-pound World Champion, the 2015 55kg K1 World Grand Prix runner-up, 2016 K1 Japan Tournament runner-up, and he was the former K1 60kg 132-pound World Champion, who is currently 1-1-1 and inside the Ryzen ring, getting his first victory recently via decision over Hikaru Machida. Also has a record, by the way, of 21 wins, 9 losses, and 1 draw with 6 knockouts. Did I mention again? <laughs> While I'm basically tiring my damn voice out trying to ask for this, I got to ask. Do you think that Tiger can keep the flow going and potentially face off against Tenshin Nasukawa? And who do you guys see in this fight? The shootboxer who everybody hates... Or Tiger. Well, first, before we get to that, Christian, I just want to read a little bit that um, Ryzen provided. Um, they, uh, say, they say it's Ryze champion versus former K1 champion. Solid puncher versus hard puncher. The big difference will be the height and reach difference between the two. Shiratori has a solid boxing background. It'll be hard to land a big looping punch. Tiger will have to utilize his footwork well. And... Um, just want to give some more info on their wins. Uh, uh, Shiratori has eight knockouts, nine decisions. Uh, while Tiger has six knockouts and 14 decisions. Um, I think I have to also said some things at the, uh, 
Tory said, it hasn't been long since I just won the Rise World Grand Prix, but I believe this is a new start and I'm eager to take on new challenges. One more K1 champion versus current Rise champion. This will be fun, and they write the fun in all caps. Look forward to, uh, for some fireworks in Osaka, and then Tiger says, I'm here to take all the chances that have been in front of me. I'd like to spoil Shiratori's World Grand Prix trial by beating him up. Look forward for this fight, and we'll see you in Osaka. And he did knock out Genji Ueno in the first round in the Rise World Grand Prix. Um, Andrew, you there? Yeah, I can hear you. Sorry, uh, no, I was just saying that um that in the same tournament um uh Tiger was eliminated that uh, Shiratori won um so it's a little interesting connection between those two but uh yeah uh John I just want to pass it off to you uh do you have any thoughts on uh the answers to uh, to uh, Christian's questions which uh I forgot uh you can repeat those questions uh Christian but do you uh any thoughts about this kickboxing match that you want to give as well. No, isn't Tiger, is Tiger, is he, has, his record in Rise is not that good, is it? Yeah, and I mean, no, actually, it's one, one, and one. One win, one loss, one draw. And this other guy, Tai, what is it? Shiratori Shiratori? Yeah, yeah, Shiratori, what's his record in Ryzen? He's 2-0. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I, I think I'll take Sh- uh, Shiratori, man, because I haven't really been impressed by Tiger, to be honest with you. I've seen uh, his few, uh, his few of his fights in Ryzen, and they've been underwhelming, you know. But yeah, it just I, I don't know, man. Like I've never even seen the other guy fight, but I just I think I'll just take him just from what I've seen from Tiger. Here's the other interesting as well. Tiger has has been saying he wants to fight tension for like a million years, and perhaps if he does win this, I think that Ryzen would try to do a a, a, a Tiger tension match, which I don't, I do not recommend for Tiger's uh, uh, brain matter. I guess you could say. Um, but that seems to be the goal of this match is that they want to just have somebody for tension because. Kaiju obviously ain't going to fight Tenshin because they're training partners. Who else does Ryzen have that they could possibly put up against Tenshin? Tiger's really the only one. But you're right, John. He has not been impressive in those fights that, that uh, you mentioned, the Ryzen matches. Um, Christian, your thoughts? I mean, I think the consensus agrees because Tiger has not been impressive enough to face off against Tenshin Asakawa, let alone even talk about him. And the fact that he's basically saying how much he wants to fight him while he just got off of a six-fight winless streak is crazy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think Taiju's going to take this. I don't, I don't see how Taiju's going to win this. Or the fact that he's... Uh, six, uh, almost, he's, a, he's seven inches shorter than Kaiju. You have to reach up very high to punch him. We got better than Big Bang Theory, surely. Yeah. So, yeah, good luck to that, Mr. Tiger, if you could do that. Um, so I think we're all in unanimous decision that we're all going to pick Kaiju. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, in the case... If Tiger does win, would you say that they're going to try to do Tension and Tiger next? Uh, I wouldn't think so because 
if you think about it, Tension's mind is either focused on one of two things. A potential big fight with or potential to launch a boxing career as in either fight professionally or represent Japan in the Olympics next year. Mm, I got you. I got you. Um, any last minute thoughts, John? Let's say if Tiger does get a fight with Tension, I hope Tiger knocks out Tension. That's what people deserve. Oh. that stupid ass matchup. <laughs> damn, damn. That's a cold take. That's <laughs> ice cold. Um, <laughs> you know, tension, tension is tension. You know what I mean? Like he's he's like this mystic character now, and uh, eventually one of these stupid decisions that they make with him. Well, it already happened, you know what I mean, with like Mayweather, but of course Mayweather is one of the greatest ever, you know, in boxing. So if you go to boxing, you know, and you fight, it's like, basically in that fight, it's like you fighting a, a elementary school kid, right? Just like one of us fighting an elementary school kid, you know, that's basically what happened. Yeah, so, you know, in one of these times, you know, especially with uh, kickboxing, they're gonna put the wrong matchup with tension just to, you know, maybe just to try to make money off of him or, you know, do whatever they do, do whatever they're doing and it's gonna backfire. And if they do put Tiger in there, like, everybody's gonna be like, oh, he shouldn't win, but then something's gonna happen. I see it happening some someday, eventually. Someday. But, uh, who knows, man? I don't really, I'm not really interested in any, like, tension fighting anybody, to be honest with you, just right now. I think you should just focus on kickboxing and uh, and just beat up the guys that he needs to beat up. And what what weight class is Takura? Takura, what his name is Takura? Takura, I think, is in the featherweight class, which in kickboxing and boxing that would be like 123 pounds. So that's about the same, right? That's the same weight class as uh yeah as tension. Yeah, that is. Yeah, okay, so. Okay, other than that, that fight right there, I don't believe that, you know, he should be fighting anybody else. There should be nothing else there for him. You know, they shouldn't put these fucking guys against uh, attention. That would just be a waste, but. Oh, you mean like the two Argentine guys he just knocked out? Yeah, it's just, I want to see him fight the best. And right now, the best matchup for him would be that guy, right? He's the biggest name. Either the biggest name or the best matchup. That's the fights I want to see. And uh, Tiger, like him calling out tension, it's just it's just a waste of time. Hmm. It's like me calling out John Jones or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just a waste, right? Don't you think it's a waste of time? Yeah, it's a waste of time. It's all good, man. Let's get into that tournament. That's the shit that I want to talk about. That's the shit that's like excites me right now. That I tournament see, isn't that I next? See. And as far as who I want to see win this fight, I think Tiger's going to have a hard time dealing with Taiju because Taiju just came off of the Rice World Series tournament. So, yeah, he's definitely going to want that win. But if Tiger wins, I won't be surprised if Tension will be on his hands and knees begging them not to make that fight because if Tiger knocks out Tension, I think the term flame out would probably be more suited towards him rather than Tiger. 
But still, Andrew, can you hear us? Hello? <laughs> is he gone? Is he gone? And as we have a saying on this show, the damn 1FC zombies got us. <laughs> yeah. But. What is going on? Nah, I don't know. Right now, Andrew is. I mean, he muted his mic for some odd reason. I mean, he's probably going through some shit right now. But, I mean, as they say, the show must go on, so we have to go on, John. And with that, even though the Lightweight Grand Prix is going to be coming up, we're going to talk about it, hopefully. You know, uh-huh. up next, we got a welterweight fight. This time in mixed martial arts, it's at 77 kilos, 170 pounds, between real FC veteran Marcos Yoshio de Sousa. Versus UFC and Dream veteran, former Sengoku and Deep champion, Kitake Taro Nakamura, who will be fighting his first JMMA bout since July of 2015. First, the particulars for Marcos Yoshio de Sousa, who his brother, Roberto Satoshi de Sousa, will be fighting in the lightweight Grand Prix. For Marcos, he is 8-1 overall, he's 5 feet 10 171 pounds, age 34. Born December 5th, 1984 in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He, alongside his brother Roberto, fight out of Bonsai Jiu-Jitsu in Iwata, Shizuoka, Japan. He holds a record, as I mentioned, of 8-1. All 8 of his wins by way of finish. 6 submissions, 2 knockouts. Oh, and also need to mention that Marcos is a former Real FC or Arzalet fighting champion. His opponent, Kita K. Taro Nakamura, 34-10 overall with two draws and one no contest. He's 5 feet 11 inches tall, 171 pounds with a 73-inch reach. 35 years old, born May the 22nd, 1984 as K-E-I-T-A-R-O Nakamura. In Katsushika, Tokyo, Japan. He represents his own dojo, the Keitaro Dojo, in Higashioi, Shinagawa, Tokyo, Japan. And of course, he is coming off of his second stint inside the Octagon, this after being the deep lightweight champion, defeating Utah Andre Watanabe, another rising alum. And of course, this is coupled with stints in Dream. Greatest Common Multiple, Shudo, Legend FC, Valley Tudo Japan, and Pacific Extreme Combat. The now defunct Pacific Extreme Combat. May it rest in peace. As Andrew is not on the line right now, and I'm trying to get him back as soon as I can, I just have to ask, what are your thoughts about this fight? Do you think that Kita is going to have a little bit of... Trouble coming into his first JMMA fight in four years, or do you think that he's going to handle his own against probably one half of the most dynamic tandem in MMA on your side of the world right now, aside from the Asakura brothers? I think uh, Nakamura, he will hit the ground running. I believe that he has a total of more than 45 fights. He has lots of experience, world-class experience, beat some big names, he's been in there, grinded out wins, and the only way I feel is gonna win this fight is on the ground. 
to submit Nakamura. But I feel Nakamura has a decent amount of uh, skill on the ground on, uh, you know, like submission defense and things like that to where DeSouza is just going to be chasing after takedowns. And Nakamura is going to be able to defend the takedowns. And he's just too experienced, man. I feel that Nakamura is good at winning fights. You know, he knows where to go to win the fight. I don't feel he's going to be in dangerous positions against DeSouza. And I've seen DeSouza fight live before. It was last year. I saw him fight live last year or this year, earlier this year. Was it for in a Arzalet or? In Korea. Yeah, Arzalet, yeah. Yeah, because I know Lenny Hart I've, is a part I've of that promotion as well. She also announces for that promotion. Yeah, yeah, like I was right next to her, right? And, uh, yeah, he's good, but he's been fighting cans. And that's why his record is 8-1. and Nakamura <laughs> <laughs> has been fighting the best in the world, and he's 34-10. and 10. Just off that experience, man, I don't see D'Souza winning this fight at all. There's, like, when they always say there's levels to the game, I feel that Nakamura is at a very high level entering Ryzen against D'Souza. And I think D'Souza is going to kind of get a wake-up call against Nakamura. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, you're back with us. What are your thoughts about the Marcos Yoshio de Sosa Kita Keitaro Nakamura fight? Oh, is that next on the card? Yeah, it's next on the card. Oh, okay. Because I I have uh, Keitaro versus his brother, um, Marcos. Yeah, you were probably thinking about Roberto Satoshi de Sosa, not Marcos. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. It's I'm okay. Stupid. It's okay. Everybody botches, damn it. Okay. Yeah. Um, Keitaro Nakamura versus Marcos uh, Yoshio Sosa. Okay, so we got... Is, is this... I think this might be another case of Ryzen bringing in former UFC Japanese fighters who are not doing well. I think Sosa's gonna... Make a example of uh, Nakamura, and I think that he's going to choke him out uh, in the first round. I don't think that Nakamura has any sort of chance in this match. Are you sure Sorry. about that? You know, actually, it's funny that Nakamura might be the best former UFC fighter, other than Kyoji Horiguchi, that they've hired for their promotion. But I honestly don't think that, like, he's going to listen. Unless, like, Sosa decides to fight very stupid with his chin out, I don't think that this, this fight will go at all in a way that will... I think it's going to go in Sosa's favor um, for this match. Um, and you call, they're allowing uh, elbows in this match, right? Yes, they're allowing elbows in most of the fights oh, on this card. Definitely, then, yeah. Oh, definitely, uh, I, I don't think that, that will have any actually sort of difference. I think that uh, Sosa it will, will, will submit uh, Nakamura in the first round. Well, I think that just leaves me when it comes down to a prediction. If you really think about it, this is a guy in Keitaro Nakamura. He is a former Sengoku World Champion. Obviously, one of the only champions in Sengoku. He is a former deep champion. Deep welterweight, not lightweight. He is a former Shudo Pacific Rim champion, and obviously he fought in Pancrase Shudo, Valley Tudo Japan, and Dream, in addition to the UFC, which will probably give Ryzen a sweet-ass excuse to use some old Dream footage. But still, 
This is also a guy in Keitaro, Kita Nakamura, who is coming off of a recent 4-4 four four stint inside the Octagon after, you know, fighting away from the promotion after a two-fight stint, or actually after a three-fight stint between 2006 and 2007. So his record in the promotion overall is 4-7. and seven. You're going to have a guy who many North American fans only know from his time in the UFC. You're going to have a guy coming in. He hasn't been used to the ring since Dream, I think, since Sengoku. And it's sad because, you know, he's going to probably come into this thinking, oh, you know, it's just another chance for me to etch my name, to make people remember me. But I think that when it comes to this fight... One of y'all said that it's going to be Yoshio's most experienced fight, and it's obvious that it is. But I think Marcos Yoshio de Sosa is just going to come in looking to choke out Kita Keitaro Nakamura, and I think that will happen. <laughs> hey, remember, remember um, when his brother fought, um, um, was it Mizugaki? Yeah. Okay, Mizugaki. Um... Everybody was saying, oh, this is, this is going to be Chilzo's real test as an MMA fighter. And he knocked him out. So, like, everybody, he, I think everybody, a lot of people picked Chilzo to win, but not by knockout. Hmm. I think I, I think the same thing's going to, I don't, I don't think that, that Chilzo will knock out Nakamura. I think this is going to be another case of where people are, are undermining Chilzo's skills. And they're not going to, they just think that, oh, he's a jiu-jitsu guy. But that jiu-jitsu is good enough for MMA, um, for MMA match. Mm-hmm. But if you, I, all, uh, I missed your 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 pick. Uh, you think that Sosa's gonna win? Mm, me? Yes, yes. Sorry, yes, you John. No, I I'm picking Nakamura. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Hmm. I'm picking um, Nakamura. You know, like I I, I understand what your guys is uh. Side is, you know, how you guys feel about D'Souza. But I've seen him fight, and I don't feel that he's that good, to be honest with you. So far, a lot of the Japanese guys that have been brought in to Ryzen that are from UFC have not fared well. Uh, as I said, Mizugaki, and um, I apologize for getting the guy who just who, uh, Manel K fought, um, and K's last fight. Um, um Takeya Mizugaki, right? I'm sorry, yeah, no, Mizugaki, uh, no, no, um, oh my god, this is why you don't drink oh and try god. to think about it, hey. Um, okay, so, so, his you brother fought, um, right about one thing, Andrew, when it comes down to ex-UFC fighters, male or female, they haven't really fared well inside the Rising Ring. I think you have Hirota, Mizuto Hirota. Yeah, Mizuto Kugnis Hirota. Yeah. Both Mizugaki and Hirota lost and, to their respective opponents. Now, yeah, a lot of people who seem to come in from, from UFC to Ryzen don't do too well. Um, Japanese or not Japanese. So, you know, I think that's also going to be another factor in this is that yeah, I just think that Nakamura is going to be, I don't think that he's going, it's just, a lot of these guys are just not the same fighters that they were seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Um, I feel like sometimes the sport, the sport evolves so fast and so hard to keep up with at times that 
some of these people, they just don't, they just, you know, they, they, they are so, they've been fighting the UFC style, the, the UFC rules, the UFC cage, that it's almost, it's almost hard for them to adapt to coming back, to get that mindset of what it's like to fight in Japan and in a ring. I think that's going to be a big factor in this case, in my personal opinion. But there's a lot of guys that come into the Ryzen that, you know, and girls that have been fighting in the cage and then they do well in the ring. So it's not like, I look at it as all like individual cases, you know, when they come in to fight for Ryzen. And there has been like, Mizukaki, he was always a bum, right? So when he came in and fought uh, Manel Cape, of course he was going to get smashed. Like, did anybody believe that Mizugake was going to come in after fighting in the UFC where he didn't do very well? And he was in, like, ACB and got crushed by guys over there. And well, basically he was doing, like, a, a way, tour because he, he had a name from a WC. Way, when it came to him fighting in ACB, he was just getting his taste of his first time fighting in Europe. Because ACB had plans to have cards all over the world, including in Japan, but... Everything panned out, and then the fucking Akmat MMA shit show came in and took up everything. I'm curious, uh, Christian, but, did, you, yeah. did you get the, um, yeah. the topology um, for this match, um, what the user's saying? Oh, God, I didn't even think about giving the topology stats for this, because when it came down to it, it only had, like, ten fights listed out of the 13-fight card. They don't even have the, the Kim fight. Uh, Kim, uh, she was she decided to fight for some reason. I have no idea why. Unfortunately, um, I don't well, see why either. But if you look at the topology stats, and I'm looking at them for the first time on this podcast, but if you look at the topology stats, 83% are saying, stupidly enough, that Kita K. Tarl Nakamura is going to win. Hey, I don't know if it's stupid, stupid, you know. I think you guys are going to be eating your words on this fight, man. And, and when, when Nakamura wins, and, and I'm thinking Nakamura is just going to win some fucking lame-ass decision, right? Because that's kind of like his style. But um, when he wins, though, I'm going to be posting some things on Twitter just to remind you guys, do not underestimate, you know, what's his name? Keitaro? Is that his nickname? Yeah. Hey, um, isn't he married to, uh, what's her name? Um, she also fights Verizon. I mean, who are you talking about in this case? Because I know that, I didn't know that Kita was married. I mean, who do you think she married to? I think he's, she's married to, she, she's, you remember the girl that got knocked? Flash knocked out. She got flash knocked oh, out she's when she was Shugi coming in, and then Shizuka Marcella Sugiyama. Is that her name? That's her yeah. full name. Her actual fight name is yeah, Shizuka yeah. Shion Sugiyama. Yeah, I think that. Yeah, I think he's married to her. <laughs> yeah, and I remember when she got knocked out by Kana Watanabe twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Reason why I'm gonna pick Souza now. More <laughs> reason. Yeah, he's training with her. There's not a good training partner to have. <laughs> so hopefully he found some better training partners for this match. Are they, are they practicing to get knocked out? Is that what's going on? Are they like practicing the best ways to land after you get punched? Hey, yes, yeah, hey, you know what they say. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure that Keats is going to probably take an ass whooping 
and still stand. <laughs> All right, well, we got it right now. We got the picks. I'm taking Nakamura from what I, you know, from what I said. <laughs> I think Trump, I think that uh, his uh, experience is going to play out well against uh, D'Souza. And I've seen D'Souza fight. He's, he's way too one-dimensional. He's not like his brother. People try to group him in like his brother. His brother has fast hands. He's much quicker. D'Souza's not fast. He doesn't really have that great of a wrestling game. Yes, he can get on the ground and submit guys, but I feel Nakamura is just too experienced to go in there and make those mistakes, and he's going to win a decision, most likely, against D'Souza. Right? That's my pick. You guys are picking D'Souza for the opposite reasons, and it's all good. Right? Yeah. Right. We can well, agree to disagree you. I do have a question for both of you. Ryzen really hasn't focused on a welterweight. In fact, they probably have maybe have had a total of maybe a dozen total welterweight matches as far as I can remember. Do you think that this is good, that they'll, you know, depending on who wins this, um, you think they're going to try to focus on more welterweight matches uh, going forward? Or do you no. think that they're going to just, this is just like a one-match thing, and it's not going to be a... It's, it's just it's gonna go go to the back burner again. Yeah, they don't have enough fighters for a welterweight division, right? And uh, they're all in UFC. Yeah, man, they're they're so focused on like the featherweights and the and the, the lightweights and the bantamweights and then the the light heavyweight that it doesn't seem like they're too concerned about the welterweight and middleweight because you don't really see. Have we had any middleweight fights in Ryzen? Um, to be honest, the only time I remembered a middleweight fight happening in Ryzen was when Hisaki Kato took on Yuta Andre Watanabe at the Ryzen FF1 show. That was a long-ass time ago. Yep, 2016. Almost four years Yeah, now. so... So, yeah, it doesn't seem like... I think those two divisions are going to be the last divisions to kind of develop for the promotion they have like a division is to, to build like the bantamweight the featherweight the lightweight and uh, the light heavyweight and then the rest will come along and then you know mix in the women at the same time so we're not gonna really see much going on with the but welterweight they're having welterweight fights so that means that's maybe the next step but the thing is that also is that uh strasher kichi kunimoto left ryzen I think he said in an interview that Ryzen had no welterweight division, so that's why he went to Bellator, because there was no in his division. Instead, he's fighting Kitawoka, who's going up a uh, division to fight him. You know, he was fighting white, lightweights. So, yeah, you know, you, 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 had, you had one guy, they had one guy there, and he left because there was nobody, he was nobody there to fight him. So, I don't even, I think I have an agreement. Yeah, I think it's, I don't think they're going to, I think this is kind of just like a one-off fight. I don't know who else, you know, Unless there's some major cuts in UFC or Bellator or something, or, you know, Ryzen is going to start getting more Bellator people over, I don't see them, like, doing anything middleweight or welterweight. I really don't. Or, or, whoever wins this fight is going to go to Bellator. Hmm. Huh? Well, um, if it's, if I mean, to be quite honest, I don't see Marcos going to Bellator. He's probably going to stay in Ryzen, no matter how well his brother does in the lightweight Grand Prix, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, well, we'll have to see. You know, we we pick, we pick, we have our picks, John. This might become the most anticipated match of the night, just based on our perceived notions of how our how, how the people, the persons we pick to win, will win. Hmm. Uh, but yes, I think with that, we should move on to the meat of the card, Christian, and to the first lightweight Grand Prix match. Ah, uh, yes. And just to clarify about the lightweight Grand Prix, we already seen lightweight Grand Prix qualifiers take place on the previous few shows. Roberto Satoshi de Sosa knocking out Mizuto Pugnisirota. Tatsuya Crusher Kawajiri defeating Ali Abdulkalikov. Johnny Case knocking out Satoru Kitaoka because he's always a punching bag. One more. Hiroto Uesako knocking out Yiblendur. But now we get to the meat and potatoes when it comes to this. And this now the Rising Lightweight Grand Prix. Where the quarterfinals will take place at this upcoming event. Rising 19. With the semifinals and finals possibly taking place. Either on December 29th and 31st. Or just December 31st. New Year's Eve. Whereas <laughs> it's going to be a big deal. But for right now, we gotta worry about these fights, and these fights are something incredible to kick off the Rising Lightweight Grand Prix quarterfinals. This one specifically, Damian Beatdown Brown versus Tofik Musayev. First of all, the particulars for Damian Beatdown Brown. He is 5 feet 10, 157 pounds, with a 68 and a half inch reach. He is 34 years old, born Christmas Day 1984 in Albury, New South Wales, Australia, fighting out of integrated MMA in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. He is a black belt in Zindu Kai and a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. He holds an MMA record of 19 wins and 12 losses with 9 of those 19 wins by way of submission. He is a former XFC Australia lightweight champion and a former Brace lightweight champion who had a stint inside the octagon going 2 and 4. He's currently riding a 2 fight win streak inside the rising ring choking out Darren Crookshank and defeating a winded exhausted Koji Takeda. And his opponent, hailing from Baku, Azerbaijan, Tofik Musayev. He is 15 and 3 overall with 12 big knockouts. He stands in at 5 feet 10 inches tall, weighs in at 155.4 pounds, age 29. Born December 15, 1989, and fighting out of Orion Fight Club, Baku, Azerbaijan. He's currently, much like Damian Beatdown Brown, 2-0 inside the rising ring. And they share a common opponent in Darren Crookshank, of which Brown submitted Crookshank. Musayev defeated him via decision. And of course, his rising career started on New Year's Eve last year when he knocked the plate off of Tyson Osawa. Nobumisu Tyson Osawa. <laughs> but, still... When it comes to this particular fight, the rising fan base on Tapology has an 86% chance that Musayev will win this fight. So I have to ask. Yeah, I know, right? But still, when it comes to this first quarterfinal, who do you see moving on? 
And what are your thoughts about it? <laughs> well, before we get into that, so I have the graphic up for Kobe Musayev and Timmy Brown. I'm just laughing because they mistyped Musayev. They put his height as five foot one. I'm just laughing. I'm just thinking about a five foot one lightweight fighter. But I'm sorry. That's just me being very immature. But um, they wrote that Tilpik is riding an 11 fight winning streak with a whopping 93% finishing rate, and Damien is undefeated in his rise and run. While Tilpik will enjoy the striking power. Power and ground and pound, Damien will face a 29-year-old with technique and iron will. And I'm just going to briefly re- read uh, their statements that they uh, provided to Ryzen. Totally uh, wrote, I oh, said, I'm happy with the matchup. Honestly, I didn't really care who I faced in the first round. I'm here to beat everybody who stands in front of me. And Damian Brown says, it's a great matchup. I think we are going to be able to put a show on for the fans. That's what I do. Yeah, I'm going to throw this off to you, John. Who is your pick for this first lightweight Grand Prix matchup? Man, this is a hard one, but uh, I feel that Musayev is going to pull this off. For some reason, everybody that I interviewed that's not fighting Musayev is concerned or wants to fight Musayev or believes that Musayev is going to move on in the tournament. And I'm pretty sure those guys study Musayev closely. And they must see something about him that makes him so dangerous. And after watching his first two fights in Ryzen and watching Damon Brown and knowing Damon Brown, I feel that Musab is smart enough to play it smart against Damon Brown and take the fight where his advantages are and stay away from Brown and stay away from brawling, you know, things like that. And I think Musab will get this fight. On the judges, I, I, I don't feel like it's going to be a finish. Do you think that, uh, that the reason why a lot of people, a lot of well, some of the fighters, have said that Debbie's a problem is because here's the thing: each from Azerbaijan, and when you want to study a fighter, you know you want to look at their fights and all that stuff. Other than his rising fights and maybe a few of his other fights, you can't really study him. There's still a little bit of an unknown factor of like what he does, being uh, young, and also just you know the fact that there's not as much video as you know. With Damian Brown, Johnny Case, others in this tournament. Do you think that's also a factor? Why they may have said that to you, John? Possibly, but I feel like they have enough to study, you know, of him. So they must see something, some kind of combination of some factors that they have that we don't see as, you know, spectators or just people, you know, watching from the outside, you know, looking in. Because at first I thought, yeah, Damon Brown, you know, he's going to go in there and he's going to do what he does and make this fight his fight, you know, control the fight. But then I've got to watching his fights and then listening to the other fighters talk about, the, you know, that matchup, this matchup. And now I'm kind of, you know, moving over towards Musav and thinking that he will take this fight now, and uh, kind of uh, get rid of Damian Brown. <laughs> Just like he knows well, uh, Musayev just recently trained for a bit at Team Alpha Male. Hmm. Is it still called that? Or no, is it still called? No, I'm sorry, no. He trained at Uriah Faber's um, place. I don't think he's, is Uriah Faber Team Alpha Male anymore? Or, I think they had a well, he is, he is Team Alpha Male. That's his gym. Okay. I thought that he split from Team Alpha Male for some reason. No, he's the, he's the owner of Team Alpha Male. He's like the founder of Team Alpha okay. Male. Oh, no, uh, Musayev did a stint there. He, uh, he trained a little bit there uh, at Team Alpha Male. What do you think he's also, that'll also be something that he brings? Because I don't, I don't know if he's ever trained outside uh, Azerbaijan uh, on, uh, before this 
see a different Musayev, being that he did train at Team Alpha Male for a bit? I don't think we'll see a different fighter. I just believe that he'll just have a couple more tricks that he can use during the fight. But I don't see us seeing a different fighter. And what's the age difference between these guys? Uh... Muzayev is 29, Ram is 34, so that's uh, yeah, about so not, eight. No, no, I'm I can't do math in my, in my current state of mind. So, but five, five, uh, five year difference. So it's not that big of a gap, but yeah. still. But you got one guy like Brown who could be at the tail end of his prime, and a guy like Muzayev who is in his prime or entering his prime. Yeah. Who would you take? Well, here's the thing. In my personal belief, now, well, here, with Damian Brown, he's almost see, has kind of had a, a new lease on life as an MMA fighter when he left UFC. Uh, you know, they, as Christian said, he choked out Darren Cruikshank when he was the, I definitely would feel like was not the favorite in that match. And then he beat uh, Koji Takeda, who was undefeated at the time and as the uh, deep lightweight champion. So I think, you know, I want to say that, that you know, I, I think that experience is going to play a factor in this match. But I think that Damian Brown is going to not fall for whatever. With the Kukshay fight, we kind of saw that Musayev almost depends a little bit. He got he got some good strikes in on uh, Kukshay, but he definitely has that that wrestling base, you know, that, 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 uh, whatever, that, that Eastern block type of wrestling style, which is kind of to just walk onto your opponent, and we see if it could be all time, grab your opponent, and do not let go for the life of you, you know, just use that to smother them, and to crush them, and to basically, like, almost mental, not only physically exert them, but mentally exert them, I don't think that Damian Brown's gonna fall for that. I think, it's, and if he tries to do that, you know what? The, I feel that Musa might wind up be on the end of a guillotine choke, kind of like uh, Krupshank. I have to go with Damian Brown on this. I think that Damian Brown is going it will will not fall into that trap that uh, Krupshank um, in the Krupshank fight that uh, that made him lose at. Hmm. Well, Damian Brown, Krupshank fights off the back foot. Damian Brown does not, yeah. and I think that makes a big difference in how Musa fought Crookshank. You know what I mean? I feel like that style works better against someone like Brown. Mm-hmm. That would be wanting to engage. Yeah, I don't think he's stupid enough to jump in for a, with his neck out. But who knows, man? Well, here's the thing I was talking about. You know, Takeda tried to wrestle with Damian Brown. Damian Brown almost had that guillotine choke on him. It was almost literally like the, exactly how the Crookshank fight ended. And then it seemed like right after that, Takeda was afraid to go for takedowns after that. And it just became Brown's match right after that. That's the thing is that, you know, with Brown is that if Musayev is at all worried about that guillotine choke, I see him wanting to try to keep this up on the feet rather than trying to risk potentially losing it. And I think that takes away a lot of what makes him one of his strengths as a fighter. That's how I see it. Uh, that's how I see it. Um, Christian, any thoughts? Well, in a way, because we talked to Damian Brown before, obviously. I have. And, in a way, he's probably going to go into this looking to fight as tough as he can, looking to fight as hard as he can. And 
obviously looking for the win. But if you think about it, even though, Andrew, you and I haven't talked to Tofik, he's one of the few fighters we haven't talked to out of this Grand Prix. If you think about it, age is going to probably triumph over experience. But I do have a feeling that Damien Beatdown Brown is going to try and lay the hurt on Tofik Musayev. Even if the topology audience disagrees, because, you know, 86% are saying that because Tofik has the better record between the two, they're going to obviously see to it that Tofik gets the win, but still, I think that Damian Brown's going to probably get the win because if you think about it, he has a lot to prove in this. I mean... If anything, I think that he's going to probably end up fighting Johnny Case in the next round should he win. I think I also just want to go back to the age thing. You know, we're all fighters that we see that, that age, uh, that get older, get into, who've been fighting, you know, early on in the years, and then as they get older, they get slower, the reaction time is not on point, uh, they get tired faster. You know, other than the Cody Takeda fight, uh, when it got to the third round, um, Brown didn't seem to be that winded. Um, and his, he seems to still, still, you know, have, you know, good reactions, you know, knows when to block, knows when to strike. Got that, uh, that, that pretty awesome Superman punch uh, on Takeda in the same match as well. We know he can take a punch, or an elbow, I should say, uh, with the Danny Crookshank fight. We saw him take, uh, I think it was a spitting elbow, uh, flush right in the head, and uh, managed to survive that, I don't know how, but um, yeah, I think, yeah, well, Damian Brown, it's, it's very, I, I don't see a lot of the same things that we see in a lot of fighters that get older, you know, like, you know, the Randy Couture's, or the one, uh, the one not Randy Couture, um, you know, like, like Odell, or just other fighters who, fight for a long time and then you just see them kind of just fall apart as as they have more and more fights i don't see that i haven't seen a brown in, in um in his fights um here uh, john uh, did you see the how they how they were um drawing the matches with the fights by any chance no i just know that they drew i didn't i didn't watch it though okay um it was actually funny, so they actually had people, um, they would have a picture, of, uh, a, a picture, a giant picture of the person, like, of their face, and then so, uh, a, ja- a person, I guess a rising executive, was wearing basically a giant picture of the fighter around their neck, who was obviously not Japanese or uh, Roberto uh, De Souza, and they were basically, yeah, uh, it was just funny to see... Two, two Japanese people with with a a giant Tofik Musayev head around their around their chest and Damian Brown head around the other guy's chest hmm. and then picking a uh, ball and then I guess they matched the, the letter to the ball or whatever but it was it was just a really it truly was random random lottery random lottery. Um, um, the other question I also have is, uh, and I know, uh, John, didn't you, did you talk to uh, uh, Damian Brown when he was kind of going on that uh, little stint about he, uh, not, being up, not being sure he was in the tournament and like kind of like trying to get a little bit of um, 
steam behind getting the tournament. Did you talk to? I think you talked to him as well, right? About that. Yeah, yeah. I talked uh-huh. to him before and after. Okay. Did, did you think that he was going to be in the tournament when uh, before they announced uh, the people that were going to be participating? No, I didn't think he was going to be in the tournament. You know, I, you know, it's, sorry, go ahead. No, I didn't say anything. Hmm. Oh, sorry about that. Um, no, I, it's funny because I think, uh, Christian, did you, I, don't, I don't think we thought he was going to be in the tournament as well initially um, when we were making our, I guess, our rough predictions of who would be in it. I don't know if we picked him to be well, in it. In a way, when I interviewed him that one time, he was still trying to find a way to get into the Rising Lightweight Grand Prix. I asked him if he would do some Vitaly Shimatov like shilling if he ended up not being a part of it. He said he ain't going to do that shit. But I obviously did not really see how he was into the Grand Prix, even though, yeah, he won a couple fights. But still, it was crazy to me that he was in the Grand Prix. Maybe Ryzen had their interest in mind seeing those two fights of his mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah we, uh, in terms of fight hype John is this one of the, mm-hmm. one of the matches that you're really looking forward to on the lightweight card and uh, the Grand Prix or on the card itself um, the Grand Prix the, the matchup that I'm interested in the most is most likely Johnny Case versus uh, Roboto de Souza what about, what about you, Christian? What do you think? Where is this fight going on the hype scale for you? The hype scale for me is... I mean, you're talking about 1 to 10, right? Yeah, 1 to 10. I would say it's at a 7 because if you think about it, there's not a lot of people that are giving this fight any type of hype whatsoever other than us. And of course, we're not really concerned about what the other people got to say, but still, when it comes to this fight... I think it needs way more hype than what it's getting now because it's not really off the meter, but it's just there. And it's kind of like the next fight that we're going to talk about in Uesako versus Gustavo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know what? Since you brought it up, let's go into that match because this will be this is a very interesting matchup, especially from two former featherweights. Ah, yes, of course. The Ryzen Lightweight Grand Prix quarterfinals goes into fight number two as Luis Killer Gustavo takes on Hiroto Uesako, the strongest lightweight in Japan, the former deep lightweight champion. First of all, the particulars for Luis Gustavo Felix Dos Santos, aka Luis Killer Gustavo. He's at 9 1 overall as far as his career goes. 955 pounds but fights at 145. <coughs> Age 23, born May the 25th, 1996 in Curitiba, Pahana, Brazil. Represents Vondelay Silva's Evolu Kaltai MMA fighting out of Colombo, Pahana, Brazil. And he is currently 1 and 1 inside the Rising Ring. Knocking out Yusuke Yachi in dramatic and devastating fashion back at Rising 12. Then losing at Ryzen 15 to the guy who now has shot the world, or one of the brothers who shot the world, Mikuru Asakura. His opponent, oh by the way, is the strongest lightweight in Japan, 
Hiroto Uesako, 16-7 overall. He's 5'9", 144.8 pounds, age 32. Born March 3rd, 1987. Originally from Numazu Shizuoka, he represents Waijusu Kehukai Hearts and fights out at Minato, Tokyo, Japan. He has only had one Ryzen fight so far. The knockout victory he had over Yivlan Du at Ryzen 18. But in addition to that, he is a former Pancration. He is a former Deep Featherweight Champion. And has also fought a list of names including guys we're probably familiar with. Like Yonggi Hong, Guy Delamue, Jerry O'Hara. Names like those. <laughs> Even Yusuke Saunders Jr. which nobody knows. Meanwhile, Gustavo, he's obviously a finisher. He knows how to finish you quick and pick you apart. And as far as the rising fan base on Tapology goes, they have voted 79% for Gustavo to take the victory over Uesako. So I have to ask, how do you guys think that Gustavo got into this tournament? Because he's one of the two fighters that were pretty much wild cards in this along with Damian Brown. How do you think he got into this tournament? And do you think that Uwe Sako has a snowball chance in hell in order to win? John, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, I'll pass it on to you. I feel um, a couple of these guys got into this tournament because the fighters that they originally wanted for the tournament, they couldn't get them. They couldn't line them up for the tournament for some reason. And I think Luis Gustavo is in that position, and Damon Brown is in that position. So they kind of got lucky in that the original fighters that they wanted didn't get in. And maybe Kawajiri is also in that position, too. I'm not for sure. But um, in this fight, I'm taking Hiroto, man. I feel Hiroto, he comes in with a much more diverse angles. And I don't know, man. They both have knockout power. Like, he is just insane. Like, he takes chances. And he comes in, like, with weird, weird setups and angles. And, and Gustavo, straight up and down, you know, the Vanderlei Silva style, the shootbox style, but with massive power. And this one, I don't even think it's going to go out the first round. These guys are going to go in there first round. Someone's getting knocked out. I'm going to take Hiroto. Interesting. Very, very interesting choice. Uh, when you would say that you see him live, I'm guessing it was at that Road FC match that he had, where he knocked out his opponent with that knee to the face? Yeah. Hong Yong-gi. He knocked out Hong Yong-gi. I remember I was there. I'll say this about also who wrote uh, Yue uh, He has one finish due to kicking, oh, I think it's listed on his topology as due to, uh, due to chest injury or something, kick to the chest or something, which just sounds really, really disgusting. He also has the most brutal soccer kick knockout I've ever seen, where it sounded like someone just got hit with a baseball bat to the face. Which I remember who this opponent was, but it, it, was, it just sounded like a big thwack right as soon as his foot hit the guy's face. You just look up Hiroto Yuisako's soccer kick, it should be the first thing that comes up, and the video should be there. <laughs> when it comes to Luis Gustavo being in this tournament, I don't think, I, I was not expecting him to be in this tournament, and my belief is that they probably asked Mikuru if he wanted to be in the tournament. But probably what happened was, you know, Mikuru said from the beginning he wanted nothing to do with the tournament. He wants a featherweight tournament. So I think in their, in their scramble to find opponents for this uh, tournament, 
they probably just went with Gustavo because they're like, oh, he has one win over a guy who we were going to focus on, but he knocked him out, and then he fought the, the one of the guys that we wanted in the tournament. So I think process of elimination, they kind of should win with Gustavo. That's my personal belief anyway. This is a tough one to make, man. It really is. It's, you know, like you said, John, they both have knockout power. And the thing is that they're both, they're both, both the way they strike is so, like, whole opposite. Ruiz Gustavo, like you said, you know, uh, is that shoot boxing style. It, he's also very wild, very, uh, it, it, it's uh, like, a, it's, it, you saw the, the, in his two matches in Ryzen, he kind of just, throws and if it strikes it strikes if it doesn't it doesn't um and some players you can argue that's good or bad but hey it's knockout people so it's obviously it's worse to some degree um but Hiroto's a lot more technical my gut instinct maybe I just have to go with Gustavo on this I think he's going to overwhelm uh uh Sako on this match I don't think the age factor is really that much of a difference 23 and 32 um, <laughs> it's a nine-year difference. Well, here's the thing, you know, I mean, are we going to say the guy who's older has a more, is a more experienced fighter? Will that be the factor? Or the guy who's younger? Will that be a factor? I don't know. I, almost, I don't know. I don't know if it kind of negates itself, in a way. The other factor is also, how was Gustavo's hand? His The Mikuru fight, he broke his hands. I'm presuming that it's probably okay if he's in this tournament, but... I'm pretty, you know, breaking a hand, it's still not, it's, hopefully, if his hand is still, not, like, not 100%, you know, that's going to be a factor as well. But I'm presuming that it, that it is 100%. But yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going with Gustavo on this. I think, I, and I think I have to agree with you, I think it's not going to go beyond the first round. Christian, any thoughts? I think that when it comes to this particular fight... We're still talking about the Brown versus Musaya fight, right? No, Gustavo and Uitaco. Oh, well, in that case, I don't think that fight's going to probably make it out of the first round because you would have to think that these two men are going to probably beat the holy high hell out of each other. <laughs> I do think that when it comes to this particular fight that Gustavo is definitely going to get the win because, let's face it, Dude's a killer. I mean, the dude is a killer because he is going to come in looking to take some people with him. He is going to come in looking to beat the holy high hell out of people and not think twice. And I feel sorry for whoever's going to be matched up with him in the semifinals, no matter how experienced they are, because they're going to have a hard time hanging with him. I have a question for you, John. Do you think the likelihood that this match could wind up being like MVP versus Paul Daly and that these two strikers wind up wrestling each other for three rounds? No, Do you think that's a, oh, a possibility? Oh, for fuck's sake, Andrew, no, I don't, don't think startle so. him with that question. I mean, <laughs> hopefully it won't have to come down to that. I swear, if, this, if that's how the match goes, I think I'm, I'm going to just call a night and just not watch the rest of the show until the next morning because I don't think I'll be able to put up with that again. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's gonna happen, though. I, it would be almost—it would be funny in a very depressing way if that wound up happening. I, do you think this fight will even go to the ground at all? Yeah, when someone gets knocked down. <laughs> good answer. Good answer. 
So, what do you think it'll be? You think it will be a punch? You think it will be a, a kick? What do you, you think we'll get any soccer kicks in this match, uh, John? This would be the perfect scenario for Hiroto. He knocks him down with a punch. Like, he flies in mm-hmm. with one of those weird punch knee kind of things that he does. And then he knees him again on the ground and knocks him out like that. Mm-hmm. But you guys are picking Gustavo, so how's Gustavo going to take out Hiroto? I think it's going to be kind of go, to go the same way that the Yachi fight went. I think that Hiroto is going to just let his guard down for a mere second or two, and Gustavo is just going to come in with something that's very violent, and it's going to knock him out one punch. I think that's how I see the fight going. I don't, I, don't even, I, don't, I don't think there will even be a necessary uh, follow-up strikes, because it will just be a, knock, uh, one, uh, a knockout, uh, cold knockout. That's how I see it. How about you, Christian? If you can't soccer kick him, and of course, Ryzen is one of the very few promotions in this world that still allow soccer kicks, but I think it's going to probably lead to him beating the dog shit out of him. And if it's a soccer kick, then that'll be like highlight reel getting. But if it's not, then more than likely it's going to be via straight punches. The same flush punch that he landed on Yusuke Yachi's head will probably be the same flush punch that will go straight into Hiroto Uesago's knocking. Now, an interesting thing, as I said earlier, was that, is that both these fighters are former featherweights. We're moving up to lightweights. I want to ask this to you, John. Do you think we'll eventually see Ryzen at all giving some sort of fights or attention to a featherweight division? Or do you think it'll just be like welterweight, middleweight? It's just going to be virtually forgotten. No, they're going to build the featherweight division. I feel that that will be the next tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, just like this tournament, they'll probably bring somebody over from Bellator or maybe even two fighters and just mix it up and see what happens. And you could get guys from other promotions to hop on and see who's the best featherweight, build a division. Now, we talked to, Christian and I talked to both fighters. Both fighters are extremely confident in that they are going to knock out the other. They have both said that this will be a knockout win. So, I'm hoping that's how the fight goes, is that there's no bullshit, there's no nothing. One clean knockout, boom, someone goes to the ground, and that's all she wrote as the saying goes. So, um, any last thoughts, John, that you want to give about this match before we move on to the next one? No, no, all good. Okay, Christian, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on indeed in the third semi-final the Rising Lightweight Grand Prix is a matchup between youth versus experience again. In the case of former... Well, actually, no. It's not a matchup between youth versus experience. It's age versus dominance. As in, the dominant Patricky Pitbull Fury, the former Bellator Lightweight World Title Challenger versus... Two-time JMMA Grand Prix participant, 2005 Pride Lightweight Grand Prix, 2008 Dream Lightweight Grand Prix, Tatsuya Crusher Kawajiri. Now, the particulars for Patricky Pitbull Fury, who in the interview that Andrew and I had with him, I confused him with Patricio, his twin brother, 
<laughs> some uh, kind of fucking crazy, right? I'm the first person to do that, Christian, you, and you won't be the last. Understood, but much like Patricio, who was the current Bellator featherweight and lightweight world champion, Patricky is a little older, born January 21st, 1986, in Mosolo, Rio Grande do Norte, Brasil. He fights out of Natal, Rio Grande do Norte, Brasil. He's 5'8", 155 pounds with a 71-inch reach, much like his brother Patricio. He fights out of the famed Pitbull Brothers Academy. And he is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. He holds a career record of 21 wins and 8 losses. 13 of those 21 brutal wins come by way of KO. And of course, when it comes to tournaments, he's no stranger. He is... The Season 4 Bellator Lightweight Tournament Runner-Up and the Season 10 Bellator Lightweight Tournament Runner-Up. And outside of his non-Bellator fights, he's 7-1 outside of Bellator. He is 14-7 in the promotion. Not to mention, given the fact that he defeat well, he lost to Michael Chandler not once, but twice, and took part in some amazing bouts with Toby Amato, Razor Mark McCullough, Kurt Pellegrino, Derek Campos, David Cape, Man Rickles, Ryan Couture, Millicent, Kevin Salsa, and Benson Smooth Henderson, just to name a few. His opponent. Probably one of the more experienced JMMA fighters in the history of the UFC. In Tatsuya Crusher Kawajiri, who in the press conference says he's conquered all of what he had to do except for facing off against and defeating a Bellator fighter. He is 41 years old, born May 8, 1978 in Inahiki, Ibaraki, Japan. Representing his own fight camp, T-Blood. He's been fighting since Halloween 2000 and is a Class A shootoist. 5'7", 135 pounds. The Crusher has been fighting again since Halloween 2000. Holds a record of 37-13 and 13 with two draws. 12 wins via knockout, 10 via submission. And of course... When it comes to his career, he's a former Shooto lightweight champion, a 2005 Pride lightweight Grand Prix semifinalist, a 2008 Dream lightweight Grand Prix semifinalist, and held a 3-3 three three record inside the UFC's octagon. And now he's currently 2-3 inside the rising ring. For Patricky Pitbull, this will be his Bellator debut. So, I have to ask, it's age versus experience, but how do you guys see this fight ending up? I mean, do you think that, do you think that Kawajiri has one more little bit of magic left in him, or do you think that Pitbull will kick the shit out of it? Well, so, Christian, you, did you say that this is going to be making his, his Bellator debut? You mean his Ryzen debut, right? Yeah, shit, I forgot. <laughs> That's fine, that's fine. Yeah, will uh, be making his Ryzen debut, whereas okay. Kawajiri's already fought in the promotion five times to a 2-3 and three record. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah, John, I'm going to pass it off to you. What do you think about this fight, and who's your pick to win? Okay, uh, Pitbull's going to win. Yeah, he's going to knock him out. You know, it could be the first round, it could be the second round, it could be the third round, who knows. I don't think that Pitbull's going to rush in there and try to get a quick knockout, but he's going to get the knockout. He just has that power. Kalajiri's basically becoming like Kitaoka level, where he's just in there getting crushed by everybody. And it's kind of sad to see, you know, fighters like that just go in there and just get beat up by everybody. But if they want to do it, you know, who are we to say that they should stop? But Ryzen is giving him an opportunity to face one of the best in the world. And these opportunities do not come for a fighter like him at this point in his career. So if he can muster up what he can muster up and come in here and beat Pitbull, I think this fight, if he wins this fight, will be the upset of the year. But I don't see that. Even bigger than Kai Asakura versus Kyoji Horiguchi? Yeah, because Kai Asakura had a chance against Horiguchi. If you stack it up, you know, again, you know, them against each other, they actually had, he actually had some kind of chance of winning that fight. This one, I don't feel he has any chance of winning this fight. Like, 1% chance. Hmm. Well, so if he wins, then it's like, it's a major, major upset, I believe. And, uh, yeah, bigger than the Horiguchi knockout. Well, it's funny that you say that, John, because the Topology Faithful, obviously they agree with you. Because they gave Patricky Pitbull a 91% chance in winning this fight. Which means that Kawajiri, as legendary as he may be, to them, he doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell. But, of course, when it comes to, to when it comes to the upsets now, we did mention it has happened before with Kai Asakura versus Kyoji Horiguchi, but anything can happen in Japanese MMA. I mean, it dates all the way back to 1997 when Daiju Takeshi took out the late Emmanuel Yarborough. Um, yeah, I know that, that, that anything can, but, okay, so, Kalajiri's last match against Ali Abdul Kalikov, the, the match that he won that presumably got him into this, uh, Grand Prix, mm-hmm. he looked, he looked terrible, he won, but he looked terrible, he got rocked in the first, in the first round by Abdul Kalikov, uh, and, in the second round, right after the second round ended, going to the third, he, he was crawling back to his corner from just pure exhaustion. Mm-hmm. That tells me that does not hold well for for something for someone like Kawajiri to go through a tournament and presuming, let's say, if he does get through Pitbull, presume you know when he has to, if he makes it to the semifinals and then the finals, how is he going to survive potentially fighting two fights in one night? That's that's I don't see how he's going to survive. That, let alone this fight. No, Pitbull is going to knock out Kalajiri, I think, in the first. I don't don't see how this can go any farther than the first round. Kalajiri has looked terrible, like, bad in his in, in his matches. And even the one that he won against Kalikov was not a good win. 
uh, the Keita Loka fight, I thought that, that almost seemed like it was going to be his last match from the way that he uh, spoke on the microphone after the, after the uh, fight ended. And, you know, it, he should have hung it up there. I I get, I know that people kind of like Miracle Ones, they like Nostalgiacs and MMA, but I think you said it best, John. This is, he's like, it's like Keita Loka level where it's, it's almost becoming sad. It's becoming really almost. I think with Kiroka after the case fight, it was a lot. It became uncomfortable, and I think after this, I think with this match, I think it's gonna maybe enter that level of like just really uncomfortable levels of of, of just like I don't want to see him fight anymore because it makes me almost sick and depressing to watch. Uh, there's no entertainment value out of it, you know. Oh, Bob Sapp, you know, you get a little bit of entertainment, you know, just seeing this this huge monster, you know, gas out in the first round. But like with Kalajiri, he's still he's fighting capable fighters that are taking years off of his life and his and his brain matter. It's not fun. It's really not. It's it's Chuckle Dell level. That's what it is. It's Chuckle Dell level of of just sad and sadness. Oh, you mean uh, like how Chuck Liddell took that knockout loss from Tito Ortiz? It's just like any any Chuck Liddell loss since the uh, I think probably the um, Rich Franklin fight um, and a few fights before that as well. But I remember the Rich Franklin fight was like nobody was thinking that Rich Franklin was going to knock out Liddell, and you know he had got a few knockouts knocked out a few times before that, but just you know. When you, I remember when people were saying, like, he got knocked out by Rich Franklin, the math teacher, as Chelsea <laughs> used to call him. Um, yeah, it's like, it's very uncomfortable. And this is, this is maybe the worst matchup he could have gotten. At least, you know, with Gustavo, you could say, okay, there's a, it could be experience versus, he, his experience, he can maybe win against Gustavo in that match. With Damian Brown, you know, I, I, will, I don't think that Damian Brown would, would knock out uh, Kawajiri. With Souza, he would probably tap out Kawajiri Case. Um, you know, but like, he literally got like maybe the most fearsome striker in this entire tournament. It, it could have been, it's not, it, could, it is literally the worst matchup in this entire, in this tournament. In my, in my personal belief. I said enough, though. Christian, I'm going to pass it on to you. What are your thoughts on this match? I think that when it comes to this particular fight, everybody knows Kawajiri is tough. He's durable. He said that he did everything that he could. I mean, he fought in the Bellator Grand... No, damn it. He fought in the Pride Grand Prix in his 20s. He fought in the Dream Grand Prix in his 30s. Now, here he is in his 40s, and he's fighting in the Rising Grand Prix. But I think that when it comes to career longevity, this may as well be his last go-round, because... He doesn't really have anything left on the table other than wanting to be a world champion. I mean, if anything, if he doesn't win this fight, and I hope, I mean, I'm not going to say I hope he doesn't, but I know that Patricky Pitbull going to wear that ass out. But if Kawajiri loses this fight, this may be the final time we'll see 
Tatsuya Kawajiri fight willfully inactive competition in professional mixed martial arts. I don't know about that because I, I remember the, the Kidoroka fight people were saying that, that oh, this, this seems like a swan song for uh, Kawajiri. You know, it's Yaranoka, uh, it was a split decision loss, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a one sided loss. And the way that he just talked at the end of the crowd, it, sound, it just sounded like, oh, you know, I think I'm not going to do this anymore. I think, I, I don't know, John, do you think that Kawajiri loses this? We're going to see Kawajiri fight again in Ryzen. Maybe against Kitaoka. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> this is gonna have like thirty fights in a row against each other. Uh, you know, to oh open up God. the prelims. <laughs> I mean, come to think of it, do you really want to see these two legends, you know, get it on with each other? No. Not again. The first match was not good. The second, the second match will probably be worse. Um, no, 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 no. I would almost hope that if he loses, Sakaki. Uh, if, if there's any more fights left on his rising contract, because Sakaki Bar just says, they, they just pull BJ Penn and they're like, okay, we're not gonna do this anymore. We're done. I, I swear to God. Okay, I'm gonna say this right now. If Ryzen dares to book BJ Penn versus Kawajiri, oh god, no! I might lose my shit. I might just, I just might rip my teeth. Just might just like, I might just rip my teeth out. Don't do that. We don't want you to lose those pearly whites. Yeah, no. But I just now I'm worried. Now that I even thought about that. I'm worried that that's going to happen now. That I actually thought of that match. Oh, God. Yeah, still, wouldn't you much rather have Kita Oka versus Kawajiri instead of BJ Penn versus uh, Kawajiri? No. Kita Oka, I don't think that Kita Oka should be, should be fighting anymore. He's, he nearly, he, I don't want to say he nearly died, but he was, like, he was, he was, Incapacitated, pretty damn bad in that case fight. I am, not, I am not looking. And it, it, he, the problem with Kiyomoka is that I think having his all the matches he's lost in Ryzen have been all by knockout. All by, I think they're all by knockouts. Yeah, they are all by knockout. If I'm not mistaken. And, and, and it's like not like a one punch knockout. It's like him taking. 50 punches to the face knockout, like the Souza match, the, the case match where he's just getting elbowed in the temple. Um, the, the, um, the, uh, uh, I think, uh, was it Yachi that he fought as well? I think it was, oh, the Grandal fights, where he just held on the Grandal's you know way. You're right, because all of, almost all of his rides and losses, and he's had six of them, let's be real. All, no, actually, he's had five of them, but four of those five rising losses for Kita Oka have been by knockout. Yeah. Um, John, so I'm, I'm going to put you in the shoes of Sakakibara. Kawajiri loses fight. What do you do with Kawajiri? Do you just do you say, we're done with you? We're not going to, you're not fighting for us anymore? 
or do you put him in one more fight or something? Like, what do you do if you're uh, W. Kisakakibara? You give him a fight if he wants to fight. If he has, if he has fans, right, that come out and watch him fight, and he wants to fight, you let him fight, man. Like, that's how I feel. That's my position on things. Like, if he doesn't, if he's not like walking around visibly affected from fighting, you know, like he's he's like walking around like he's drunk all the time. And he feel and he he seems like he's lucid and he 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 you know he's he seems normal right even though he's taken damage throughout the years and he wants to fight let him fight you know what I mean like if he's pulling in crowd why not like I that's my opinion like I'm never gonna say someone should retire like BJ Penn I'm not gonna never say he should retire it's like his decision to retire because you don't see BJ Penn yeah he's losing and stuff but. Is he walking around, when you see him do interviews, does he seem like he's, you know, like he lost his mind or anything like that? Doesn't seem like it at all, right? So, other than, you know, him getting in fights in the street, but, uh, you know, everybody's been in fights in the street, so, you know, it's hard what, to so, you can really just, talk shit about that too much. <laughs> so, Cal uh, Jury has been, was in the Bantamweight Rising Tournament, now he's in the Lightweight Tournament. If there's a if you lose this match and there's a featherweight tournament, do you maybe put, put him in there? That? Put him in there with Yachi. <laughs> no, sorry. So uh, uh, Asakura first round. Oh God. Which Asakura? Miku. Miku, you mean right? Oh no, the featherweight Asakura. <laughs> yeah, Miku. Just put him in there. Why not? Just let him do it, man. That's my attitude. Why the fuck not? Why the fuck not just do that? Why the fuck yeah. not? Okay. Yeah. It'd be so funny if he's in all these these tournaments and he's losing in the first round and like bad. It's gonna have to get to the point where if they ever do a welterweight, so if they ever do a welterweight tournament, he's gotta be in that. He He'll be, be in there. He should be in every tournament. Every oh, every male. Not every tournament because he he obviously can't really. You know, hold up that type of frame, and I mean, he's five seven. You can't possibly see him at something like a hundred and eighty five pounds and up. I think hasn't he fought? I think he's fought at welterweight before. Yeah, he's fought at welterweight, but I don't see him going as high up as middleweight or light heavyweight, or God forbid, heavyweight. I think he's, I think he's been the biggest he's ever been, though. Like he's definitely gotten more muscular ever since he left UFC. He definitely seems to be a lot more. His shoulders seem broader. He seems a lot more bigger. So, yeah. hey, you know what? Yeah, he's been at the pharmacy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> hey, listen. If he wants to be, be a, uh, if he wants to be a Pablo Costa, you know, be a five foot, uh, a short ass, uh, middleweight, why not? Or, then you know what? If that fails, he can go up to light heavyweight. He could be that, uh, Darren Wynn. He could be the Darren Wynn of, of light heavyweights. Uh, hey, you know what? Why not? If that doesn't work out, then he can go to heavyweights. No. No heavyweights? No, absolutely not. Put on a put up just just eat, just 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 go on a chonko diet and just just become fat and you know, fight Jake Hune or Vitaly Shematov or something. I have no idea. Bob Sap, I don't know. Kawajiri versus Bob Sap, how about that? Uh, no, no. <laughs> but the moral of the story is we all picked Fury to win, right? Patricky Pitbull? Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and then we can go ahead. And, 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 mm-hmm. I just want to say this though: if Kawajiri does knock him out, I'll, I will agree with John. This may be the upset. It will definitely be one of my upsets of the year. If if if, if Kawajiri wins by like just by laying on him for three rounds, it's gonna be like I, I don't care. But if he somehow knocks out Patricky Pitbull. I think that will be like, I, I that definitely has to be like top three uh, MMA upsets of the year. Right, right, exactly. But still, other than that, I mean, we might as well go ahead and get going and talk about the final lightweight Grand Prix qualifier. And the final lightweight Grand Prix quarterfinal, that is. And that is Alberto Satoshi de Sosa versus Hollywood Johnny Case. And we got a chance to interview Johnny Case, did we not, Andrew? Yes, we did. We did talk to Mr. Case. Mm-hmm. And he's focused on wanting to knock out Mr. Sosa. Yes, he actually said that his jiu-jitsu ain't going to matter and that, that, that jiu-jitsu grappling competition is going to be is, is a lot different than MMA jiu-jitsu. And he also basically, I guess, said that he's, a, he's not a good striker um, as well. Um, he's very confident going to this match. He thinks that he's going he's, he to walk right through uh, DeSoto. He respects his, his jiu-jitsu skills, but he thinks that he... It's clear that Case does not think that he's no... That still is at all the level of fire that he is. Hmm, understood. But still, the particulars. First of all, first of all for Roberto Satoshi de Sosa. He's 5'11", 156.2 pounds from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Much like his brother. Wait a minute, Andrew, you there? Yeah. Anyways. Roberto Satoshi de Sosa, 5'11", 156.2 pounds. He is 30 years old, born September 19, 1989 in Sao Paulo, Brazil, which makes him the younger brother, I think, of Marco Satoshi, I mean, of Marco Shioshio de Sosa. Much like his brother Marcos, he is a former Real FC slash Arzalet fighting champion. He is undefeated at 9-0, representing Bonsai Jiu-Jitsu, fighting out of Iwata Shizuoka, Japan. And he's currently 2-0 in the rising ring, both of his wins via knockout, knocking out Sato Kitoka, knocking out Mizuto Pugnishirota. And in addition to that, he is a veteran of Quintet, and a veteran of Arcelet Fighting and Real FC, being a former Real FC Super Lightweight Champion. Not to mention a former Real FC Lightweight Tournament winner. His opponent in this contest, Hollywood Johnny Case. The native of Jefferson, Iowa, USA, fighting out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Extreme Couture. Well, actually, Las Vegas, Nevada, and... Yeah, Extreme Couture is what he told us he was fighting out of... 5'10", 156 pounds with a 72 and a half inch reach. Born June 28th, 1989. Training under John Crouch. And this will be his 
fifth, his sixth fight away from the UFC banner. He fought six times in the octagon, going four and two in that promotion in the UFC. He's currently four zero oh, and one outside the UFC, winning his last two rising fights over Yusuke Yachi and Sato Kitoka via knockout or stoppage. Well, actually, no. Via stoppage, actually, because he cut open Yusuke Yachi at Ryzen 14, then he dragged the hell out of Satoru Kitaoka for that entire first round of their fight in order for the referee to call it off back on July 28th. So, I don't know if Andrew is still here, but John, what are your thoughts about this fight, and who do you see coming out on top? Uh, I think uh, I think Johnny Case won't take this in the end. I feel Johnny Case is just overall a better mixed martial artist compared to uh, De Souza. De Souza, he's I don't know him getting those knockouts really doesn't prove anything to me about his MMA skills. It shows that, yeah, he does have knockout power, but I don't know. I'm not really high on this guy. Yeah, he's great on the ground because he comes from that camp, uh, the Banzai camp, you know, with Clever uh, and his brother and the Hulk and all them, and they're great jujitsu guys. But um, uh, look who he has beaten. He's beaten Kitaoka, who everybody has beaten. Um and he beat Hiroto, Hirota, and Hirota, yeah, he fought in the UFC, but even in the UFC, he was getting pretty work, you know, he was getting worked by a lot of the guys that were there, and the, and the guys that he got worked by, yeah, and the guys that he got worked by weren't, like, the best of the best, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, man, I just think that Johnny Cage is just a, a smarter fighter, Overall, like I said, just a better mixed martial artist, and he'll know where to go to win this fight. He'll, you know, he'll he'll know how to make the adjustments in the middle of a fight to get the win. And I think the lack of experience by De Souza, even though he is, you know, 30 years old, he only has what nine nine professional fights. And he might come in here too confident, man. And, you know, as an undefeated fighter against a guy like Johnny Case, that that could work against you big time. And, uh, and I also spoke to Johnny Case, and he he seems like his mind is, is it, it mentally he's there in the proper, in the in the best mind frame entering this tournament. And, and against a guy like DeSouza, too. Uh, he understands the dangers of this Oza, but he also understands the the his uh, his weaknesses, and he's going in there to expose his weaknesses and not stray away from that. And he must have a a pretty decent game plan to neutralize everything and and win the fight. I would just also like to just briefly bring up the the, the striking thing. Here's the uh, funny enough that they both fought Kiroka and. Got uh, TKO wins over him. The thing with the Kiroka fight is that 
Hiro Oka has never been a good striker. In fact, I think he's, I think he's been basically striking the same way since he's first he ever first fought. His striking has never evolved. So for someone like the Souza to knock out Hiro Oka is not like I wouldn't say is really like a high accolade. I think with the Hirota fights. I think the surprise came from the fact that he did knock out Hirota when everybody thought that he was going to submit him. And the way that it kind of happened, um, with that kind of just that cold, that, that flush knockout, that, uh, that one punch knockout, it was almost, it was like, his striking looked better, I'll say, than in the Kitaoka fight, but it is certainly not on Johnny Case's level at all. Johnny Case, has looked magnificent when he when he fought not only Yashin, of course, when he fought, fought Kitaoka. And even the PFL fight that he had uh, that went to a draw, he looked good in that match as well. Schulte, by the way. Yes. Uh, um, he looked good in that fight, but just not good enough to go to the next round. Um, but, yeah, I think that Johnny Case is going to win this. I don't think he's going to... He's not going to... If, if he... If the Souza tries to take down uh, Case... We might wind up seeing the same thing happening that Kito, that happened to Kitaoka that might happen to uh, Souza, I think. Um, Christian, what do you think? I think that Johnny Case is going to, you know, pulverize or try to pulverize Roberto Satoshi de Souza standing up. But when it goes to the ground, that's going to be a huge problem for him. And as far as the topology fateful is concerned, they're saying 80% that Johnny Case is going to get the win. But I wouldn't be so sure about that. Because, yeah, even though Johnny Case is saying he's willing to knock the shit out of all comers, I mean, he needs to be wary of the fact that even though he did say, and we did hear, well, myself and Andrew heard that, you know, Alberto Satoshi's jiu-jitsu grappling ain't really all that great considering the fact of, you know, Johnny Case being a former wrestler, an all-American wrestler in college. I mean, still, he's gonna have problems trying to deal with that jiu-jitsu game if it goes to the ground. That's the one concern that I have for Johnny Case. Yeah, I know. I think I agree with that. That uh, if it doesn't go to the ground, then you know, Case either you know, I think that Case will, will more than likely lose that case. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, what do you think? Case better uh, pack his suitcase. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he might have to. But if he, I mean, he might have to if he gets taken down to the ground and forced to submit. But I can definitely see him going to the next round. Uh, John, you did say this was your most, the fight you're looking most forward to. Uh, can you tell us why you, uh, why this is the fight that you're looking forward to the most? Because I, I think, uh, Souza, he's just gonna come out all wild. And it's just going to be fun to watch how Johnny Case reacts to that, you know, reacts to that wild, like, you know, fast strike.
striking, but it's wild, and and to see how Johnny Case will, you know, counter those those strikes, or if he, if he even gets clipped, how he reacts from getting clipped by De Souza, and uh, and then you know, and 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 on the other side is like when when De Souza comes in all wild. When Johnny Case clips De Souza, how does De Souza react? How does he fight back? You know, like it, it's exciting. And then plus, De Souza has that undefeated record, and I like I like when fighters have a test like this. You know, against a guy that's much more experienced, and they come in with the undefeated record, and to see if they can extend the undefeated record and a notch a name like Johnny Case. You know. On, on their belt, you know what I mean? Like, like, you know, it's like a feather in their hat. Can they get that feather? Mm-hmm. I like uh, that dynamic about this. I just want to hold that as well, not only undefeated, but has finished all of his fights. And I think none have gone to the third round, if I'm correct. I think they've all been finishes in the first and and or second. So there is that as well, that, you know, 9-0 and 100% finishing rates. Um, well, here, do you think that... that do you think that we're gonna that DeSouza is gonna immediately try to go for a takedown and try to and try to? Do you think he's gonna try try to do that against uh, Case? Because uh, we saw what happened when Kitaoka tried that, uh, and you know K- Case immediately blocked it and just did those elbows. Do you think that DeSouza might? I, I guess almost. How do I? Do you think he maybe was gonna want to try show off his striking in this match more so than his jujitsu? Kind of like. Um, I think it was um, Gary Conan for a while in his 1FC matches was not going to the ground because he wanted to show that I can strike, I can stand, I can fight on my two legs. And I think even Dylan Dennis tried to do that in his last Bellator match, but then he just realized, eh, fuck it, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna do Dylan Dennis. Do you think that DeSouza might try to do that? Try to just show I'm not just a jiu-jitsu guy? I think that's what uh, Johnny Case wants. He wants... Desoza to come in with that false sense of confidence in his striking, so he could expose him. Because if he, I don't, I don't think Desoza is gonna go try for takedowns. Johnny Case is a wrestler. I don't. I think he, he's gonna have a very hard time trying to get Johnny Case to the ground. Mm. And he's probably not even gonna try to do that. If he does, he'll be like either hurt, you know, he, he might get stunned, and he'll try for the takedown. But I don't see that happening. Um, yeah, like Garitona, the reason why he was able to do it is because he's fighting bums. Yeah. And Dallas also, he's fighting bums, right? So, like, you're not put Johnny Case in there against, you know, uh, against Garitona, against Dylan Dennis. I don't feel like they would try the striking against Johnny Case. This is the same situation. I see. I see. You know, but some fighters, man, they have a plan. When they, you know, they, they train, their training camp is based off all of this, but then when they step into the cage, something changes in them and they want to go stand and bang because they feel like, hey, I'm, I can knock this guy out. Or in the ring. But that's like Mike Tyson yeah, in the ring. said, everybody got a plan until get, no, everybody got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> no, even before he gets punched in the mouth, like he could just step right in, feel the crowd and be like, Fuck, I'm gonna go knock this dude out. Hmm. But the whole plan was before that is to get him to the ground and use your strengths against him. You, you know, 
you never know what can switch in a fighter in those milliseconds, in those little moments in between, you know, from from the backstage to the walkout to the kit, uh, to the ring, the your name being announced. Anything can change in your mind because at the end of the day, they control what they do. The the corner can say whatever you they want. You know, you see it all the time. Corner is saying all kinds of shit, and the fighter is not doing any of it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not following any inst- instructions because they're they're doing what they want to do, and that could be the case. And uh, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. You, um, so we did see in the Kiroka fight that Kiroka somehow actually managed to rock the Souza, and as I said before, Kiroka's strike is not that good. Do you, uh, uh, I'm gonna conversely ask in that case then. Uh, you, you, well, you did say that you don't think that that the Souza is gonna go over takedown immediately uh, due to Gates' wrestling background, uh, John. I think that's what you said, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do you think that 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 the Souza will try to get to the ground re- regardless at some point and try to win uh, win that way? going for a submission of some kind uh, with Johnny Case on his back? Or do you think he'll try to pull uh, Case into a, into a guard position and try to work off an armbar or a triangle choke or something along those lines? Yeah, like uh, like he'll, he'll clinch. You know, like he'll yeah. go into the clinch in the corner or against the ropes or something. And then, yeah, I could see that happen. I could see this was a, you know, like maybe trying to go for like a trip rather than a takedown, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and you know, that's a whole nother defense you have to practice, I believe, when you got somebody that's good with trips and throws and things like that, and I'm pretty sure that Souza has trained a lot of those things to, you know, to have some variety in his, in his arsenal, and, uh, yeah, and he could probably do that, or he could pull guard, who knows what's gonna happen with, with that Souza, because he's, you know, he has, he does have that, uh, that that ground game off his back, so by mm. doubt that's gonna happen. I'm I'm pretty sure Ryzen told him like, don't go to the fucking ground. You better fucking stand and bang that shit out. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna... if, if 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 Zosa somehow manages to knock out Case, would that yeah. be more of an upset than Kawajiri knocking out Pitbull? No, not even close. Hmm. Christian, uh, out, out of all the matches, the lightweight matches, what is the one that you're looking forward to the most? I think the ones that I'm going to be looking forward to the most are the Johnny Case, are the Johnny Case Roberto Satoshi DeSouza fight. And most definitely, Patricky Pitbull versus Tatsuya Crusher Kawajiri. Mostly because of the fact that those two fights are probably gonna, <clears throat> those two fights are probably gonna be interesting in a way that, <laughs> I mean, when it comes to the Kawajiri Patriki fight, obviously it's age versus dominance, and when it comes to the Case versus Sosa fight, I mean, Case is gonna come in looking to knock this guy's head off. But hopefully it won't go to the ground. And then my obvious fight of other interest, the third fight would be Musaya versus Damian Brown, even though I know Damian Brown's going to win. I'm just not really hyped for it as I would be because 
nobody really gave it any interest. And obviously, the last fight I'm, you know, concerned about, Hiroto versus Luis versus, I mean, Hiroto versus Luis because nobody really know anything about them, but they're going to get to know them. Hmm. I think I have to go with the case fight. Well, here's the thing. If I were to go, if I were to go, each fight, you know, with, with Musayev, Dean Brown, you know, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of like a 50-50 um, in terms of, you know, who wins that. Kalajiri, Pitbull, Pitbull's going to win. If he doesn't, then, yeah, that'll be... I don't see that going any other way. I mean, way. come to think of it, would it be like a Kanye situation, whereas if he doesn't <laughs> win, the whole tournament loses? I guess, in a, in a way, yeah. <laughs> Actually, is a good way to put it, yeah. I think that with the Case fight, the Case and uh, the Sosa fight, there's still, you know, even though Case is the obviously better MMA fighter, there's still that slight possibility of the Sosa winning. There's still that little, little bit of a little bit of uncertainty in this matchup. Well, I'm not, you know, oh, the, the Gustavo Uisako match is more like who I think is going to get, who's going to knock out, who's going to get knocked out uh, first. But with this one, this is, it's kind of, it's, it, I like the dynamic of song of a, of a, of a fighter like Case going up against a fighter like um, De Souza. I think it's a very interesting dynamic and there's, you know, I feel there's, even though Case is the obviously more experienced MMA fighter, yeah, I think that the Soldier still has a chance to win this, uh, which makes it a very interesting stylistic matchup. Um, John, out of all, uh, right now, you know, we'll, we'll have a better understanding after the matches obviously happen, but right now, who is your favorite to win this tournament? Uh, that's a hard question, man. You know, going back to, like, what you guys are talking about, when you break down this first round, like if you put percentages on it, this is how I feel about it. <clears throat> like the Musayev versus Brown fight, I feel it's like a a sixty forty split. Okay. Musayev sixty percent chance of winning, Brown forty. Johnny Case versus De Souza, I feel Johnny Case has uh, a seventy percent chance of winning, Souza a thirty percent chance. Pitbull versus Kyle Jerry, it's like ninety ten. And then Gustavo versus Hiroto. This is the 50-50, I believe, this fight. And who do I believe out of all those guys who will win the whole thing? Who is the favorite? Is it who's the favorite or who I believe is going to win? Right now, you know, gun to your head. Uh, who, is, who is your pick to win? Who do you think will win this tournament uh, it, uh, uh, right now? Pitbull. Hmm. I'm going to have to go ahead and say Under that my, my favorite to win this tournament right now is either Johnny Case or Pitbull. I think Johnny Case. I think that... Gun to your head. You can't pick two people, man. Damn oh, yeah. Then I'm going to have to go ahead and you say got Johnny shot. Case. You got shot. You're dead now, Christian. Oh, You're dead. Oh, you had no choice now. Sake. <laughs> You're canceled. You're canceled, Christian. But so you taking you guys are both taking Johnny Case? Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be my second pick though. If I had a second pick, I would pick Johnny Case. But I think Pitbull, the pedigree, the the strength of schedule, you know, and and every factor you put in there, Pitbull, I believe he would be the favorite. But then Johnny Case would be next. 
And if you're ranking the fighters, you know what I mean, on on that. And and three and four, it's a split between Musayev and Damian Brown. You know what I mean? Like, who is three and four, right? And then the rest of the guys will figure themselves out eventually. But there's going to be some shockers, you know what I mean? There's going to be one of these fights is going to shock everybody. And or maybe even all of them, who knows, right? But there's going to be some shockers. And and one thing that's going to be crazy is, like, if somebody wins and they can't fight in the, the, the date set, you know, like, is it are they are they set on December 29th as the next round? Yes. All right, so let's say these guys win and then nobody – and somebody has to pull out. I'm, I'm in- interested in that aspect of it is, like, if somebody pulls out at December 29th, who's going to slide in there and yeah, take that spot? That's and that's what I'm, I'm excited about. They haven't announced an alternate yet. Um, I don't know if they're going to do something where, like, oh, two of the losers are going to fight off as an alternate, or if they're going to do, like, a Darren Cruikshank versus Koji Takeda thing. I have no idea yet. Yeah, they have not... There has not been any sort of hint that, that they're going to have, have an alter at this point. So, yeah, I have no idea what they're I already know who it is. I already know who it is. Breaking oh, news. I know the alternate. Breaking news. Right? Okay. We, we, we will know, but when you release this, the people will know. The alternate to enter the tournament, if someone pulls out in December 29th, is BJ Penn. Oh, for fuck's sake. No. <laughs> you better... Not even opponent. You He'll better, just be... <laughs> you better hope you're wrong about that, John, because you don't want to come around... You don't want to come about and be misleading. That's going to fuck up your entire oh. reputation. Oh, okay, okay. So, remember how I said that the that, that, that Bison might do BJ Pan versus Kawajiri? So, let's say Kawajiri somehow misses in the final. And then, uh, then his opponent, whoever it is, gets injured. Then Ryzen announces BJ Penn versus Katsuya Kawajui in the Ryzen final. That's how the match happens. And, and, and then, and hell freezes over and, and then I lose my mind and then I, yeah, that's, that's how it happens. That's how it's gonna happen. Yeah, man. I'm just kidding about BJ Penn. But I'm just saying, you know, anything can happen in this world of MMA. You got me worried now. Now I'm, now I'm, now I'm thinking that, like, what if they do, like, BJ Penn versus UK Yachty and all of this? It gives it a little bit of spice and people will start talking about it, right? I know. It just, it'd just be a fun. It just, it'd be kind of like a. Oh, they're actually doing that. It'd be kind of like it's like a Black Mirror episode for yeah. uh, for MMA. Yeah, that's like that's a great thing. Oh my god! But uh, now that god. we have gotten done talking about, you know, all the stuff that's going to transpire, all the bouts that are going to take place in the Rising Lightweight Grand Prix, do you want to go ahead and knock these final four fights out? Sure, just to let you know as well. Hey, hey. I don't mean to cut you guys off real real quick, but I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to go. I don't know how many hours I've been on here, but I gotta go take care of some stuff. Well, you've been so on for just about three right hours, but real quick, what are your predictions yeah. for the final four fights on this card? Reyna versus Shauna Ram, 
Miyu versus Siohi Han, Kai Asakura versus Oka, and Jiri versus Fabio Maldonado. Alright. Reina, TKO finish. Tayam, submission finish. Jiri, knockout. Sasaki, submission. Hmm. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. But other than that, how can people contact you real quick? People can contact me on Twitter. JHKMMA. And you can contact me on Facebook. Also JHKMMA. On Instagram, JHKMMA. Everything is JHKMMA. And you can contact me on all of those. Usually I respond to everybody. And That's as far not, you know, as... trying to send me porn. <laughs> and as far as Kumite Radio and The Body Lock, are you in a capacity with both of those entities? Yeah, Kumite TV is mine. Like, that's mine. Like, I, I'm the owner, producer, organizer, CEO, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. The Body Lock is just somebody, it's just a, a website that I work with. Great dudes over there. They're doing major things. They're growing by the by the mile every day. I also, you know, write for a, a couple other websites uh, off and on, mm-hmm. usually just covering, like, Asian MMA stuff. Um, but I'm trying to make some moves, so stay tuned. I might be making some moves soon. I don't know. I can't talk about it, but some things are in the works. So, um, as far as Kumite Radio is concerned, we can get the podcast on Google, Apple, or wherever we get our podcast. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I know it's on like iTunes and Stitcher and uh, and and on YouTube. And I think those are the main platforms out there in the world, right? So mm-hmm. you can get those. And on uh, what is it? Anchor. You yeah, know, you can listen to them on Anchor and. Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah, all of those, all the, the platforms Himal- are there. And it's probably on the Himalaya podcasting app too, right? I have no idea. I, I just put it on Anchor, and Anchor links it up to everything, to my iTunes, to to uh, to Stitcher, and uh, and of course to YouTube. But uh, yeah, man, like if you if you want interviews, that's what I usually do now. I don't really have many like. I don't do, like, breakdowns and things like that, you know, but uh, sometimes I'll do, like, a response video once in a while, but other than that, you know, I usually just focus on getting fighters on and, and trying to get them to tell me things. Okay, but other than that, man, it's been fun having it's been fun having you on. It sucks that you have to break out, but, hey, you know, it's been fun having you on. We can, I mean, we hope we can get you on one of these days. For the re- I mean, especially for the review of this event. All right, man. Just uh, just contact me. Let me know, man. Okay, we'll be sure to we'll be sure to do that. Thank you, right, man. Well, it, thank I appreciate it for the time, your guys' time, man, and uh, and yeah, we'll we'll get we'll do this uh, again in the future. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. okay, so that was John Hyung Ko, and you know, it was fun having him on, but unfortunately, we, I mean, that leaves us now with four fights left to talk about, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and try and knock these down quick, like. <laughs> mm. 
Because this first one of these four really ain't all that interesting. It's a 51 kilogram with 112 and a quarter pound fight between Reina Kubota and Shauna Ram. First of all, the particulars for the native of Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Canada, Shauna Ram. She stands in at 5 feet 3 inches tall, weighs in at 107 pounds. She's 33 years old, born May the 26th, 1986. Representing Clinch MMA and Fitness, fighting out of Maple Ridge, British Columbia, Canada. And she defeated rising alum Chelsea Legrasse in her first professional MMA belt back on October 5th, 2018. Which means, come fight time, it'll be over a year since she fought in professional MMA. And she also has an amateur MMA record of 4-1. For those five fights inside the Battlefield Fight League. And she is also. And I mean she is also the former amateur champion of the Battlefield Fight League as well. As the former amateur champion of Mamba Fight Night. And of course. Reina Kubota. What more could be said about the shoot boxing goddess. Five three hundred twelve pounds. Well actually 111.2 but who's really counting. Age 28, born June 29, 1991 in Osaka. Fighting out of C Takeshi Gym, fighting out, actually representing Seizure Takeshi Gym, fighting out of Konohana, Osaka, Japan. The shoot boxing goddess represents Seizure Takeshi Gym and Abe Ane Combat Club. She is currently, let's see, most of her MMA bouts have been in the Rising Fighting Federation. She is just coming off of a loss in Bellator at the Bellator 222 show in New York City. Losing via rear naked choke to Lindsay the Damsel Van Zant back on June 14th on the same night that Kyoji Horiguchi defeated Darian Caldwell to become the new Bellator Bantamweight Champion. Now as far as the topology faithful is concerned... No doubt about it, 97% say they want to see a coup. They want to see a Reina Kubota victory. But should we write off Shauna Ram so quickly? And I mean, even though this fight's going to probably end in a Reina Kubota win, how do you think this fight's going to play out? That's what I was saying, though, like, I, can't, I don't even know because, like, Shauna Ram, she's 0 0, right? Professionally. One and oh, this will be her first oh, fight one. internationally. Excuse me, one and oh, okay. We've had one fight, and I know she has had amateur fights, but like those are different levels. And um, I mean, this this step this this reads like a tune up fight for Reina since uh, to come back from a loss uh, to um uh, to Lindsay Van Sant. This thing goes well. Remember the last fight that Reina had, uh, or the, the last Ryzen fight that she had against uh, Samantha John Francois, who was a, I think she was three and fourth time. Mm -hmm. um, and wanted to fight in Ryzen more often. Yeah, so Reina did not look good in that match. In fact, actually, I think she may have lost the first round, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was back at Ryzen 15 back in April. I don't like. If Reyna loses this match, this MMA match against this 1-0 fighter, 
I would have to say that maybe MMA is not the sport for her. Because the losses she has taken. She's lost to Kana Sakura twice. Uh, she lost against Lindsay Van Sant uh, in Bellator. Uh, by, by, by submission again. Uh, Kana being the first person to ever submit her. And then she looked not that good against Samantha Jean-Francois. Um, so, if Reina loses this match, I think she needs to either go to a different camp or just quit MMA altogether. I will say this. I think that Reina will win this. I do not... Uh, Shauna Ram has nothing... I have nothing to say that... She, how would she defeat Reina? I have honestly no idea. Um, yeah, I think that Reina... You know, presumably liver punch, liver kick, something like that. What do you think, Christian? Yeah, I think that when it comes to this fight, yeah, we know Shauna Ram is a debutante in her maiden voyage in professional MMA, but still, this is just nothing more but a throwaway fight for Raina Cabalta oh. because when it comes to Shauna Ram, who the hell is she? Aside from the fact that, yeah. She's fighting. I mean, she's fighting for the first time overseas. We can't really talk to her all that much because you tried to interview her, but she hasn't replied back to your responses on Instagram. But still, I just don't know what to say about a fighter who, you know, only has one fight and is not really noticed at all, not even by... People in this continent, North America, but by the world in general. I have a question, Christian. Do you, this fight is the fourth. Is fourth from the top. Uh, do you think? Do you think this fight is unusually high, even though it's Reina? Do you think this fight should be this high in the card? Um, to be honest, no. Even though this fight think... is in Reina's home prefecture of Osaka. Even though this fight is in Reyna's home prefecture, I don't think this fight should be as high up as it is because, yeah, Reyna's got a nice little following in Osaka and around the world, but I don't know if, especially coming off of a loss in Bellator, she should be fighting this high up on the card because, you know... The, this card is more suitable for the Grand Prix. After that, yeah. people are probably going to lose interest. I mean, like, for instance, there was a Cara Elk fan photo, I mean, setup photos that was tweeted showing the contrast between Tenshin Nasukawa fighting and between Yuri Denisha Prohaska fighting. And Yuri was in the main event. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I think that was back at Ryzen 15. The one with, that had the, um... Uh, what was it? That wasn't... No, that was... Okay, I remember that one. Yeah, I gotcha, I gotcha. Well, that was when Jiri and um, Mo had their match, right? Yeah, Jiri and Mo had their rematch. Yeah, here's the thing as well that should be taken into account. Uh, Lindsay Van Sant, when we interviewed her after her fight with, uh... That she after her uh, her post fight with Reina, she said that that Ryzen was already talking to her about a rematch in Ryzen. So I presume that this is a tune up match for Reina before she had that rematch with Lindsay Van Sant. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't see yeah Reina. That's what I gotta say. Hmm. 
Yeah, Raina, most definitely. No disrespect to Shauna Ram, but she can, I mean, after this fight, she can basically say, oh, I had a great time, eh? I had fun, I, you know, I went out and did some sightseeing, and I also got my ass kicked by a much better opponent. Exactly, exactly. Shall I move on to the next match? Yes, please. And might as well go ahead into the next match, because unlike that match, even though this match won't have any elbows involved, it's damn sure important, because this is to determine the number one contender to Ayaka Hamasaki and the Ryzen Super Animeweight Championship of the World. It's Hamdele Silva Siohi Ham versus Crazy Bee's Fighting Queen Bee. Miyu Yamamoto. First of all, the particulars for Hamdele Silva. Age 30. She is 32 years old. Born March the 8th, 1987 in Gangwon Province, South Korea. 5'2", 115 pounds with a 62-inch reach. Fighting at a Busan Team Mad. The same fight count that spawned the career of the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung. Busan, South Korea. <coughs> She holds a kickboxing record of 8 and 3 and an MMA record of 29 wins. No, it actually an MMA record of 29 fights, 21 victories including 6 by finish, 3 knockouts, 3 submissions, and 8 losses. Let's see. She is a former CMA KPW Women's Lightweight Kickboxing Champion. A former Jules Animate Queen, no, the former Jules slash Deep Jules Animate Champion, and the current Road FC Animate Champion of the World. And this will be her second time fighting inside the Rising Ring, her 32nd time fighting in Japan overall, after, of course, knocking out Deep Jules Animate Champion Tomo Maisawa back at Rising 17 in Saitama. On July 28th. And her opponent in this contest. A woman who could possibly be the oldest woman to con... No. The oldest person in general. Male or female to... To vie for a world title. In professional MMA. Miyu Yamamoto. 5'1", 110 pounds. She is 45 years old. Born... August 4th, 1974 in Kawasaki, Kanagawa, Japan, and once upon a time resided in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, but also in her free time resides in Guam. She is currently 5-3 in her mixed martial arts career. All five wins have been via decision, including each of her last four. All three losses have been via submission. Including two, including all three, well, actually three of her first four. But anyway, since we know that Miyu's not a finisher, unlike her brother, and probably unlike her son, since we know that Miyu's not a finisher, do you think that might pose a problem for her against Yohi Han? And who do you think is going to win this fight? I will 
I'll just say this is a very interesting matchup stylistically, given that these two players cannot be more opposite for one another. And it's interesting also that I like to say is that, you know, clearly whoever wins this match is going to be fa- is going to be facing off against Ayaka Hamazaki next. And Hamazaki's um, already uh, fought Hamazaki twice and has lost both times, uh, while uh, Miyu has not fought Hamazaki twice. You know, so I almost want to pick Yamamoto because I'd be interested to see how Hamazaki and Yamamoto fight. But I know what he was saying. Ham is obviously the better MMA fighter in this fight. But I know that John said it by submission, and I know that that Ham really isn't really a submission. Doesn't really finish matches by submission usually. Usually. I mean, I think come to think of it, she does have. I mean. Six of her twenty-one wins have been have been via finish. Three oh, wow. via submission. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that was that high. Um, I yeah. think the thing though, actually no. Me, six of her wins have been via finish. Three via submission. So most okay. like me, she's a decision fighter. Yeah, but here's the thing: Ham is not known for being a decision fighter, especially recently. And and when she knocked out Jinyu Fry and uh, like you said, Tomo Misawa. Um, there's a reason why they call it Hamdalai. Um, uh, and, um, I think the thing with Miyu is that if Miyu can get a hold of Ham for three rounds, I think that I don't think that Ham's going to be able to answer back. I hope that, you know, I want my, my obviously MMA instinct IQ would say pick Ham. I think that Miyu's gonna win this. I don't. I think that Miyu has her submission defense has gotten light years better than what it used to be. She's not falling to the same traps as she used to um, with uh, fights that she had against uh, Reina and um, others um, when she first started. I think that uh, I think that Miyu's gonna win this. I think it's gonna be unfortunately a three decision uh, match, a three, a three rounds. Uh, it's gonna go all three rounds. Um, but, um, yeah, I think Miyu takes this by decision, and she goes on to face Hamazaki. Your thoughts, Christian? I think that when it comes to this bout, particularly when it comes to this circumstance, I think Miyu's going to definitely have some type of trouble going into this fight. Because, I mean, she has been known more recently in her last four fights to dominate her opponents. But it's going to be hard for her to try and, you know, it's going to be hard for her to try and get a groove against Siohi Ham because Siohi Ham, albeit she's a little younger than Miyu Yamamoto, she's also more experienced. So it's going to be hard for Miyu Yamamoto to try and face off and try and work her way around a more experienced fighter. Can you see Hom knocking out Miyu? Just, you know, using that incredibly aggressive style that she's well known for? Uh, that's maybe her fan favorite? Potentially, yes. I mean, I do think that it will probably end in a knockout in... Seo Hee-Hom's favor, and yes, it'll probably be in the first round, but here's the thing, if the fight continues to drag on for the full three, 
Miyu will probably suffer the most punishment she's taken in her career, including the three losses that she had. Mm, I, I think I think that Miyu is you know I don't think you know Miyu's really never got into striking battles. She's actually her striking has is good Miyu's, but she's never really gone into like a striking battle. Um, like Hamas has been in at times. You know, I just don't see you know, things that like. I kind of feel like the way that that Miu fights is 